Good evening, Mr. Hunt. Are you sure your line is secure? I got it. Oh, man, do I get it. Central Intelligence Cinema now has a secure line to the IMF. Benji? Join the IMF. See the world on a monitor. In a closet. That doesn't sound impossible. Next time, I gotta seduce the rich guy. What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Central Intelligence Cinema presents Road to Reckoning. You can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me upset. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. The state will self-destruct in five seconds. Welcome to episode 49 of Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. We're back to conclude our two-part monstrosity that is our review of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So, without further ado, take it away, Mr. President. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC Initiating Security Clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. Ethan Hunt. Felix Slater. Elsa Faust. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! A special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Oh, what do you think you're doing? Keep the British hand up, sir. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Recording from an undisclosed donut-shaped, liquid-cooled computer array, it's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Ben Esslinger, and with me, as should always be the case, my main man, Jason Greenberg. Hey, Ben. How's it going? Oh, it's going swell. <laughs> you know... J- just swell. Just, just, we're just rocking down the road, man. Rocking down the road to reckoning. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that's, that's what we do here. We rock down to the reckoning Electric, ab- Electric Avenue. Avenue where Tom will take you higher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you would have to expect us to be a little slap happy after uh, trying to get through this uh, this slog of a Mission Impossible movie. It's a which, mountain, man. It's it's it, got it a is. lot in it. It's it's, it's, got, it's not a bad mountain. It's not like it's it's not like we're slogging through mud. We're climbing up a hill. No, the view's it's, beautiful the higher we get. But it's, it's there's a, a lot of mountain to climb here. A lot of mountain. I mean, it, it's beautiful. It's, sometimes it's very sexy. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, you know, lots of highs, lots of lows, lots of ins, outs, what have yous. Basically, there's a lot of stuff to cover. And it's kind of been our trend in the last few episodes. There was too much to cram into one or at least more than we were willing to force you all to have to listen to in one sitting. Indeed. Um, so so we, uh, as we, again, have done in the past, split this one into two. So we're hoping that uh, you've had a minute to breathe, yes. organize your thoughts about the first half of uh, the old rogue nation. And Maybe got a drink, know, relieved yourself. Got a drink. I don't know. <laughs> or, you know, you took a week off, took a breather. That's right. Did what you needed to do. Focused on your life, did the things you needed to do. And now you're ready to come back and listen to the rest of this wonderful review 
of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Not number five, Rogue don't, Nation. Don't do that. Tom Cruise will just disown you forever if you say it that way. It is <laughs> Rogue Nation. <laughs> Although I hear he's such a nice guy, though, he'll probably bring you back into the fold afterwards. He probably would anyway. He really, yeah. I mean, yeah. seems like a seems like a swell fella for a robot. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Anyway, so when last we left our heroes and heroines, don't forget. That's right. Everybody's included here. We're all inclusive. Ilsa had jumped out of a moving car after an exciting night at the opera. Who doesn't love to end the night jumping out of a car? <laughs> Especially after an exciting night at the opera. How many of those do you actually get? Indeed. <laughs> and after her little leap of faith, uh, Ethan and Benji wound up back at the exposition barge because let's face it it ain't an mi movie without an exposition barge (laughs) that's right whether it's a train whether it's a boathouse you're gonna find an exposition barge somewhere (laughs) that's right and fortunately on this particular exposition barge they had the ability to decode what was on the usb lipstick drive that ilsa left for ethan and as promised for the first part of this year episode we're gonna tell you exactly what was on that (laughs) But I think we should get into this thing. Let's do it, man. I'm ready. So, act two. So, we're cutting to wherever Lane is. Uh, Man definitely operates in an undisclosed location. All the time. All the time. All the time. We never have any idea where he is. (laughs) Uh, But they bring her in and looking remarkably unscathed for having rolled out of a speeding car (laughs) in a dress, no less. Yes. Dress looks fantastic still. She looks fine. Um, it's a super dress. It's it is a super dress. It's probably like when she rolled out, it probably like enveloped her in like a safety bubble. <laughs> I, right. I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe she's just so darn pretty that scars and scratches wouldn't dare just, get on her face. That's right. But uh, she comes in being led by one of the thugs, and it's they're all very manhandly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they all kind of deserve to get kicked in the balls. Yeah. Very much for so. being assholes about right. it. Right. They're all like. Why, why does he want the super lethal hot chick instead of me in his criminal organization? <laughs> Which the question answers itself, <laughs> but whatever. But as she's getting manhandled, she does the whole super spinny, neck jumpy, yep. black widowy take him down thing. And at the same time, grabs the guy's gun. Yeah, and disarms him. And dis- and, and all in one All swift- in one move. And it's funny because she's walking over. She starts her whole spiel about, you need to trust me, blah, 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 blah. And as she's walking, she's holding the gun with the handle backwards, not in a in a defensive or offensive position at all. Right. The guy behind her is all like, oh, shit, she got my gun. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's still fig- he's still discovering all this. Like Right. So she walks over. She puts the gun on the table in front of Lane. And she's, you know, she tells, she's mad. You had a second gunman there to second guess me. And he's like, well, you did fuck up. Right. And she's like, because Ethan Hunt was there. Right. You know, what am I supposed to do? Why, why when are you going to trust me? Right. And, you know, so she's, she's really trying to establish that, yeah, I'm working for you, but you aren't going to give me any credit. Because he's like, well, you, he got away on your watch while you were interrogating him. Because your dumb asshole with the knife fetish <laughs> came in and interrupted me. You said you wanted him alive. Right. I was doing what you told me to do. And he was about ready to dissect him. Right. And, and this I was going to go kill him. But then you sent two other people 
that got on Ethan Hunt's radar. Because let's face it, honestly, if Ethan wasn't looking for her, if he hadn't had the other two idiots that got on his and Benji's radar, right. she would have been 100% successful. Oh, absolutely. Which she points out she was going to do the same thing that Ethan was going to do right. anyway. Right. But she would have been able to successfully pull it off. Lane screwed that pooch. Yeah. Very much so, by by not trusting Ilsa to get the job done. Exactly. So she's like, you know, if you don't trust me and you don't want me in the operation, have the balls to do it yourself. Yeah. To which Lane picks up the gun, aims it at her, pulls the trigger, and then, where'd my gun go, guy? On the floor. Yeah, done. Right. <laughs> and it's just, and it's fine. Then he hands her the gun. Right, okay, I still kind of trust you. Go do your thing. Well, he gets up and he's he does that menacing thing well, it's, where he's and doing the, dude the breathing. Is, the dude is good at menace. There's there's no yeah. doubt about it. He's so <laughs> economical in everything he says and everything that he does. Right. That it's just it's very it's like what if Christoph Waltz downplayed <laughs> his blow fell. This is what you would have gotten, right? I suppose so. Now but I there's like a, there's I, a level of intensity though that Sean Harris brings. That's that's higher to me than than Christoph Waltz. Well, like, that's because it, it's all menace, and and there's could, no joy. It could be partially also because of just the way he looks. Just yeah. naturally, he's so otherworldly, and so everything is tight on his face. Yeah, and it's just, he all just exudes like I'm in ultimate control of everything, yes. including even the way I talk. Right, still very weird. Right, but so he basically gets up. He asks her, "What does Ethan know?" And also says he knows about Morocco, and he knows about the power plant, but he doesn't know what's in it. And you're kind of getting this vibe at this point. We're not really sure where where else is going with it. Right. Is she playing Ethan? Yeah, is we she don't... really working with Ethan? And she's doing. She's basically trying to sell Lane on the fact she's got the shit dialed in. It's locked down. He's going to come find me. And I'm basically going to make him do what I'm not capable of doing for you. Right. They don't say it as that much, but you get that after you find out what the setup is afterwards. Right. And she essentially does do that. Yeah. It's just, and all the while though, you're still sort of wondering like, well, who, what side is she on? Right. And it's a very convincing, I knew she wasn't a bad guy watching it again. Yeah. But I imagine when I watched it the first time Mm -hmm. that I was probably kind of on the fence. Much like, you know, the Sophie Marceau character in The World Is Not Enough. Right. You weren't quite sure, but she wasn't even as good at selling it as Rebecca Ferguson is in this one. Well, yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing, honestly, Rebecca Ferguson sells it better. They gave Sophie Marceau a better premise. Yes. To allow her to walk the line. Right. Because she's got psychological damage from being a captive. So it's like, oh, well, maybe she's just the victim of blah, 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 blah. Until in the very end, you find out that she's pulling all the strings. Exactly. So, yeah, maybe the premise is better. But basically, Ilsa's character is providing all of the suspense in this movie. Because otherwise, it's just a Mission Impossible movie. Absolutely. Well, and (laughs) she's kind of the best spy in the movie. Oh, she's significant because she's a spy. Yeah. She works for MI6. She's not some glory hounding, I got to get it done on an airplane. <laughs> I got to hang outside this airplane. Right, guy. you know, with my, my my laser camera changing darts and shit like that. Which is funny that we're talking about this because there is that moment. There's a couple of moments where Brant keeps trying to call out Ethan like, you're just trying to win. You're just trying yes. to win. You don't care about what the actual objective is. You just want to win. And... And I don't know if the objective to Tom Cruise was to disprove that or not. 
or whether they wanted to point out the fact that Ethan Hunt has a bit of glory hunter in him as a character trait. Yeah, I You know what I mean? See, and I don't I I think that he's pointing it out. I don't think that's Ethan's motivation. Ethan wants to it's, see the mission through to completion. Oh, absolutely. It's not about but being I think, right. It's about here cuz Ethan already knows he's right. He knew he was right from the get-go. Everybody else is the one that's doubting him. Right. But Brant can't get on board with Ethan's thinking because of the level of extremity. And he's also kind of being influenced by what Hunley's telling him in the background. Right. Because Hunley's not being ridiculous. Right. And and Brant has been kind of a company man for quite pretty much. That's all the, we've really very, seen him as. Right. All, all he has back, a history. Right. All the way back to Ghost Protocol. Right. But even then, we established it in Ghost Protocol. He was a security guy. He wasn't a field agent per right. se, so he was super capable, but he was always seemed like he's been more of the secret that the director or that the secretary has. Right. Right. He's my guy. He's super smart, but also he could shoot you right in between the eyes before you even saw him move. Right. Kind of deal. So he's he's playing both of those things because Hunley's not wrong. Right. And he doesn't know Ethan enough like Luther, which Luther points out, or Benji <laughs> to really just dive into the crazy because knows ultimately the crazy is going to get where he And I think if we'd had him in the next movie, Brant in the next movie, mm-hmm. we would have seen a fully converted Brant character. Yeah. No longer would, questioning Ethan. He would have been full-blown IMF exactly, all the way. Exactly. So we just didn't get that extra stuff in it. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> Lane lets her off the hook probably for the last time. Yeah. Um, at least in his mind. And back on the exposition barge, um, <laughs> Ethan and Benji are going through the, the drive. It contains all the readouts of what Benji calls a skiff or a secure computer facility, which is an ultra-contained kind of a digital safety deposit box that's in Morocco. So Ethan and Benji's excellent adventure. <laughs> and you know, you know how cool Tom Cruise is when he's in Morocco and still wearing his sport coat. When Benji's got his strapped uh, on his, his satchel, he's right. got around his shoulder. It's just hot as hell. and Right, but no, I'm Tom Cruise. I've got a wild shirt underneath there, but you can't tell because <laughs> I've got a natty blue blazer and sunglasses. That's but right. But he looked like he was going to go do a press junket. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so um, they go to Morocco in their natty clothing. Ah, uh, um, Casablanca. Ah, Casablanca. You know. <laughs> With appropriate sized uh, locations. Uh, exactly. So you know where you're at. <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. And you know, it's Casablanca. You could have gone big here, but they didn't. <laughs> um, and so the two of them. Kept the font small. You know. It did its job. Appropriately sized. Appropriately sized. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, Russo brothers, watch a couple of these movies. You'll get the idea where you need to be from a size comparison. Are they compensating for something with See, those I, large fonts? I have fonts? to wonder. I have to wonder. Um, <laughs> someday if we get them on the show, we can ask. That's right. But anyway, so they end up in a smaller town with uh, the sheep and the things that you find in you know, the Middle Eastern towns in a right. movie. They get to the door of this place that uh, has a, you know a little kissy lip face yes. attached to it on a, on a, with a thumbtack. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's just... And, you know, either like, oh, this must be the place. I'm like, yeah, it's probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Lipstick, same shade, kissy, kissy. Mwah, mwah, mwah. How hard is it to find if she had another one to make the lippy kissy prints with? I don't know. <laughs> Couldn't have possibly been her only shade. Well, no. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm questioning that shade even went with a yellow dress, but whatever. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so... 
They walk into the house, you know, blindly, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. it could be a trap. <laughs> right. Just now, oh, let's just go in. It's fine. No, no, Ethan it's knows, fine. Ethan knows she's good. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> right. Uh, they walk in. There's a pool outside, and inside the pool is a black bikini wearing <sighs> Ilsa Faust. Mm-hmm. Comes out in her best honey rider. Yeah. 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 Halle Berry Jinx walking yeah, out of the yep, water. Yep. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. No slow motion. So again, not Fast Times <laughs> or Ridgemont High. Um, but she's she and she's wearing this this sleeve on her left arm. Yes. That indicates her O2 level in her in her bloodstream. Well, and, and it's counting how long she's been underwater right, for. Right. You know, you know, wink wink, hint, hint, foreshadow. <laughs> um, because she's down there doing breathing techniques. Yes. And we're about to find out why here in a minute. But uh like she comes out, you know, he, Ethan and Ilsa, flirty, flirty, flirty. Right, he gets, gets her the towel, and she kind yeah, of yeah, looks yeah. at him kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll let you, I'll take the towel. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> you know, no, 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 I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Yeah, no, no. I find I'm, it best. I'm going to leave that, it. You know, I'm just going to move. Just keep gonna, it moving. I, I will say this, though. Tom Cruise handing her towel. Very natural. Yeah. But you get the impression that, that Tom Cruise is is the guy that just will hand you a towel. Will hand you a if towel. If he's beating you in a swimming pool, he's going to give you that towel while he's talking to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's probably something he does normally. It probably. It seemed like a very, what I'm saying is it seemed like a very convincing towel handing moment. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Indeed. <laughs> So, uh, meanwhile, don't read into that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so, meanwhile, yet another undisclosed location. And damn it, there are a lot of <laughs> lots of undisclosed. It's like lo- they're stealing our shtick, except <laughs> they went. They, it's back in time. Another undisclosed location that is accessible by helicopter. That's right. Um, the meets finally show up for the second act of the movie. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Luther gets off a helicopter to meet with Brant surreptitiously, right under the radar, and yet. Brant paid for him to fly in in a helicopter. Right. Nobody's going to check the books on that? Of course not. And then they end up later... Like Hundley wouldn't notice what's going on or... Well, then or, later they end up in the CIA anyway, yeah, so... So maybe it's... I don't know. Maybe he's trying to look convincing as far as he's... Oh, I'm helping you, Hunley. That's the only thing I can think of is that he brought Luther in under the pretense that Luther could help them find Ethan. Right. And but that he met point, with him first to give him what the real skinny was. Exactly. But it just seemed funny because there was all like tee hee hush hush, and all of a sudden they're in the middle of the Situation Room right. at, at Langley. <laughs> right, Luther's on his own computer. But anyway, <laughs> so basically, this is Luther coming into it. Brant explaining what's happening because Luther's not working for the IMF either because it's been disbanded. Right, but he's bringing him in as a consultant type of thing. To because he's an expert on Ethan Hunt. Right, he is. And he wants him to find Ethan so they can help Ethan. But Luther is thinking, man, if you're doing this because you're working for Hunley now, I'm going to kill your ass. Right. And makes it very convincing. Yeah. Like Brand's like, I get that. We're, yeah. we're good. Oh, 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 okay. okay. No problem. I mean, I've got this whole thing of arrows, this trick arrows and a purple outfit. I don't know if you, I took on Thanos, but what? No, I haven't taken on Thanos yet. Well, there's this guy that looks like Grimace and I'm going to help take him out. So, so, you know, there's that. Sure. Anyway, so we cut back to Morocco, and basically Ilsa... Oh, I, I do want to comment, though. I do think it's interesting. Like, it was a nice touch as far as the transitional moment from 
Brant and Luther to back to Ethan with Ilsa using the sketches of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of Lane and Ilsa to immediately cut to Ilsa saying his name is Solomon Lane. Right. Like, it's like that. It's just, it was just a very thoughtful yeah. transitionary device. Yeah, that makes sense. So we get back to Morocco. She's talking, she's basically spilling the beans. Solomon Lane created the syndicate. He's former MI6. The British don't want to know that they're responsible for inadvertently launching this actually not inadvertently but we think it's inadvertently You're right right launching this whole anti-imf bad guy thingy which is why they haven't told the cia right, about which, anything because it's their it's their mess right they're it's their mess they're trying to clean it up right uh ilsa goes on to say that she was assigned to go undercover to win Lane's trust in order to start identifying who the people were as part of this organization. She's come to learn that there is a ledger that contains all of Lane's contacts, bank accounts, and everything else, which is which someone has tried to blackmail Lane with and died before giving up the code to get into there. Mm-hmm. Um, the ledger is stuck in the aforementioned Skiff, Skiff, courtesy of <laughs> of Benji's wonderful terminology. Yes, but this computer facility that is effectively underwater because it's <laughs> it's liquid cooled, you know, liquid cooled, liquid cooled, and you know the ocean has a lot of that liquid. <laughs> she tells Ethan that Lane had sent her to get the ledger, but. It is, in her own words, impossible. impossible. And And immediately I'm just hearing Anthony Hopkins in the back of my head. (laughs) Well, I just think it's funny how she really plays Ethan. She just plays him. Right. Like Because she knows what she's saying when she says it's impossible. Because then you cut to Ethan and his eyebrow raises like Roger Moore. Right. He raises impossible, (laughs) you say. Well, I'll have you know. (laughs) We're part of the impossible mission force. Maybe you've heard of us. We're real popular with the kids these days. But... Yeah, you know, you throw the impossible in there, naturally Ethan's going to say, well, maybe no. Um, and of course, Benji's all like, oh, hell no, there's nothing impossible for us. We're the impossible mission for us. Here's how things go. So we start getting a rundown of what the mission is going to need to entail right. as she divvies out little bits of information that Benji then counters. He's like, right. all right, well, this is easy. This, uh, I, I, by the way, this whole thing where they've got the projection on the screen and they're talking it down, like everything going on. It is like Ocean's Eleven. It totally it is, like, is. It is like when they're discussing the heist for Ocean's Eleven. Right. <laughs> Benji goes through all the steps, how he gets a mask finally. We show the mask being built. We show the mask being put on. I love that, though. That moment where they do the hypothetical. And of course, in Benji's fantasies, he gets to wear the mask. Exactly. But in this fantasy hypothetical... They get this great shot that uses practical effects where you think that they're looking at a mirror, but they're right. not. They're not. And the guy that's playing Ethan Hunt holding the back of Benji's mask, right. you only see his shoulder and his hand. Right. And obviously that's not Tom Cruise. But on the other side, right. Tom Cruise is actually standing there with the other actor. Who the mask is made of. Who the mask is made of to do the transition while the camera rotates. It was pretty good. Cause it's I mean, ingenious. Cause we, we were talking about in mission impossible three. Yes. How with, yeah. you know, the scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman, where there's like this seamless transfer between Tom Cruise putting on the mask. Right. And it actually being Philip Seymour Hoffman doing the character. Right. And I thought that one was pretty brilliant, but this one was so much better and so much easier to do. Oh yeah. It was pure camera trickery. Yeah. 
It was it was fantastic though. It was absolutely fantastic. It was. But Benji goes through the whole thing. Um, and he, he's very excited. Oh, well, I'll just break in. I'll wear a mask. I'll get to go in and do, pretend I'm the guy. I'll do the codes with the fingerprint <laughs> and the, 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 and then, yeah, but there's a thing at the end that's going to prevent you from doing that. And they show him get the mask torn off <laughs> yeah. and he's all sad. Ah, yeah. Gets it's pulled away. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, I mean, the, so the MacGuffin on this whole thing basically amounts to is this. You need two people involved in this operation. One of them has to pretend to be the guy that wears the mask. Which right. we don't even end up having a mask because it turns out the sensors don't need a mask. Right. Right. It's really all about the gate. Right. Well, you have to have a fingerprint. Right. You have to know how to do three combinations. Mm-hmm. And then you have to walk like the person that's walking in there. But there's this gate thing that will basically, it scans you as you're walking through a la Total Recall in the x-ray <laughs> machine. Right. And if it doesn't measure your gate, it stuns you with right. a taser. <laughs> and you get hauled off Benji style the way it is. Right. So, oh, and I love, there's a moment in there where he says, So what you're saying is no mask can beat it. We're busted before we even get into the vault, and I wind up in a Moroccan jail playing mummies and daddies with Omar the Strangler. Okay, I don't get to wear a mask. <laughs> it's such a throwaway line. I know. Because he, neither, says it, he says it so quick. Right, and neither of them react to it yeah, as nobody, a line. Just, it's uh, just, just Benji benji right? Right. Right. <laughs> But so in order to facilitate this, you have to have Benji up on top, but you have to insert the profile into the computer that's in the liquid cooled Taurus under the ocean. Which looks like a donut. It does look like a donut, which is what a Taurus is. <laughs> I actually looked up the definition of Taurus. So I knew it was like, and then it said a donut. <laughs> I'm right. like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a sphere with a hole in the middle. I learned something well, today. Well, it's an elongated sphere with a hole in the middle. But yes, it's also a bagel. That's right. If you want to go that route. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, so... Savory. Savory. Oversweet. Savory, over <laughs> savory oversweet. But I digress. So basically, we get the premise is that somebody has to be on top. Somebody has to be in the bottom. We know that Benji ain't going to be holding his breath for six minutes because here's the problem. It's underwater. You can't not be underwater. And for some reason, there's a... Well, the only... <laughs> See, I I don't get, this is another, this is a moment where I kind of trip up the whole thing about, oh, well, the whole thing shuts down if it detects metal. There's a, I I buy that because it triggers in the outflow that he goes in. That's where the metal is the problem. Okay. And so you could, I could logically, I can give them that this thing would shut down if there was a metal obstruction inside it. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not when he gets in the Taurus that the metal's the problem. It's the tunnel he has to go through. Oh, the tube the that water sends is, him there. Yeah, where the water goes in, that's what the metal problem is. Here's, However, here, why can't you have a ceramic or a plastic air thing? Exact. All he's using is a rebreather, and they show him in the fantasy setup before with a, he learns yeah, that he can Yeah, with a rebreather. With a rebreather attached to his mask. I'm like... It's a small air compression That's, that's why I'm tripping on it, because I'm like, come on. There's got to be a ceramic or plastic oxygen tank. If we can make a record player with a laser emitter scanner and a hand reader on exactly. the turntable, we can't find a way to make a, a rebreather that only needs 15 minutes worth of air out of a composite material if that's you not can metal. Make, if you can make electromagnetic gloves that will allow you to climb up the side of the Burj Khalifa like Spider-Man. Yeah, you can't come up with a plastic plastic reinforced 
It didn't have to be plastic. It could have been carbon fiber. Right. Right. There's so many materials you could build 15 minutes worth of because a rebreather isn't an air exchanger. A rebreather, well, it is an air exchanger. It's not an air tank. Right. It takes your air, scrubs it, and puts the oxygen back to where you can do it. Right. So the only the only thing that I could possibly if I was to play devil's advocate here, the only other thing I could say is, well, they've been disavowed. They have limited materials on hand. Okay. The only breathing apparatus they're going to get is going to be made of metal. That's the only thing. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. That would be the only argument that I would pose against this whole scenario and why I don't completely call bullshit on the fact that they can't get a ceramic or or plastic. An exposition barge, which is on the water, (laughs) wouldn't have some high-tech scuba equipment of some kind. Uh, Sure, but you know what? Considering the fact that the the exposition train in the previous movie had electromagnetic gecko gloves. Right. Very (laughs) mission-specific. Yes. (laughs) But I'm okay with that. If we're going to go with the metal shuts down in the outflow or the inflow, then, okay, I'll go with this. But what it really amounts to is you got to hold your breath for at least three and a half minutes. Yes. Which is what Ilsa was doing in the swimming pool. Right. And trying to prep not, herself for clearly it. Clearly not hitting that number. I wrote it down. She hit 158. So she was close. Yeah, she was she getting was, there. She was very, very close. But Benji, meanwhile, was like, oh, shit, we could do that. And by we, he means Ethan can do right. that because he's not going to be swimming in the Taurus, even though he's a computer guy. I think Ethan should have been like, oh, you're going in the Taurus, Benji. <laughs> That's when we get part two of, uh, I'm on the computer. That's right. That's what I do. Right. So the plan is hatched. We figure, you know, Tom Cruise, he can do anything. He, he can breathe underwater for three minutes. Although I do, he still has the same look on his face that he did from Ghost Protocol. Like, <laughs> right. are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and Ilsa points out too that it's one thing to hold your breath for three minutes. It's another thing to You're not, exert yourself physically and be underwater and hold your breath for three minutes. Right. And so we, we see obviously what the danger is, even though it really shouldn't have been any danger because there should have been some sort of device that could have helped it along, whatever. But <laughs> whatever. You know, now we know what the next big set piece is going to be and aren't right. we excited to see it happen? <laughs> uh, so we we cut from there to the CA and their their main surveillance slash yes, operations. The born identity room. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Where Hunley is inconceivably hanging out with the only other IMF guy in the room in their own separate room while Hunley is on the main floor. Right. Not suspicious at Not all. Not suspicious that maybe they're like monitoring the progress of them while they're doing their own thing, working at odds with each other. Yeah, it seemed very incongruous to me that suddenly Hunley trusted Hunley would Brandt. never be so gullible. No, he would not. I mean, he had to be dragged, kicking and screaming to get him to London in the last thing. Well, not really, but I mean, he was very, I don't believe you, there. Right. Suddenly he's very, I believe you now, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, so it seemed a little improbable, but you know, we got to move the movie along. So. That's right. That's right. So basically we get in there and this is where Luther Luther's. And Brant's like, well, how are you going to find him? I ain't looking for Ethan. I'm looking for her. Look at the drawings. And, Look at how hot she is. <laughs> yeah, this one here looks a little more crude than the one of the girl. The girl doesn't look crude at all. And so clearly Ethan had some interest invested in this girl. He trusts her. He doesn't trust an uncrude guy. That's how you know when Ethan doesn't trust someone. You'll see a crude drawing, not unlike the one you probably saw in his hand in the third or the fourth movie. Crude, crude means rude. Rude are bad guys. <laughs> Clear means dear. It means he trusts them. You with me? Let's go to Arby's and get a sandwich. Or as I should say, a sandwich. Because he pronounces all of the syllables. But 
basically he's looking for her and Brant's like, well, can you use facial recognition on a drawing? And Blues is like, well, if you're not me, you can't. But I'm me. So yeah, I found her. She's right here. I love how he's like, how long will it take? I got it. (laughs) Like he's literally interrupting as he's saying, how long will it take? (laughs) And so they find her in the train station in Morocco, which Okay, I've never been to Morocco. I will probably never go to Morocco because there's no <laughs> real reason to go to Morocco. But that is an awful nice train station from oh, yeah. what I can see on the screen for Morocco. Mm, very so, fancy. I don't know. Maybe Casablanca is the place I will go. Eh, you never know. On my pilgrimage to Tunisia so I can go see Luke Skywalker's house. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, they find her in Casablanca. Uh, he tracks her back to who she is. And they see the her dossier from the MI6, yes. which says she's a very, very bad girl. Indeed. And Luther's like, she's bad news. Mm-hmm. But is she, though? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We will. So then we cut back uh, to morning to morning in Casablanca. Good morning, Ooh. Casablanca. Ooh. Hey, this is rock and roll. <laughs> didn't, I didn't Live s- from the Nile to the... <laughs> didn't see you going the Adrian Cronauer route, but I'll allow it. <laughs> We see Ethan and Elsa parachuting down to the top of the power plant, which happens to be the clever disclosed location yes. for the undisclosed location of the Taurus beneath it. Indeed. And when I say Taurus, again, donut, not Ford automobile. Indeed. Um, they accurately shoot some little dart thing into a camera on a parachute from at least it's, 200 feet up. And the exact camera that they need to shoot. Yeah. Like first time, just pew, pew. Perfect. Yeah. You know. It's easy. Easy peasy. They do impossible all the time. Okay. Okay. And then you get the little uh, the little blurb of the camera going, showing them land yeah, and then s- switching over to what it was before. Wouldn't it be funny if there was a movie where somebody was looking at the screen when it did that? <laughs> yeah. And then the whole movie just ends there? Well, it would just be a great, it, it kind of in the same way that Brad Bird sort of like pokes fun at all the technology breaking yes. in his movie. Do the same thing with exactly what we're talking about. Right. Like they inadvertently have to fight six people because somebody was looking at the monitor at just at the that, right time. At that exact moment when yeah. it flips over. Oh, if only, if only. <laughs> um, and anyway, so at the same time that they're landing in the parachutes, uh, Benji drives up to the front gate posing as some, some somebody that can get into the building. Apparently they had a profile or maybe Ilsa had a profile that she was going to use. I, I, I mean, it's a bad, it's a card. It sounds like getting into the facility is harder than getting into the computer access portion yes. of it. Yeah. So if they had the bona fides to get into the building, the gate thing, the the how the person walked, I keep saying gate. I know that our listeners are not stupid, but <laughs> there's doors and things that are involved in the process. There's G-A-T-E so, and then there's G-A-I-T. IT. Yes. And in this case, I'm talking about IT, not A-T. So Benji's there. He gives him the ID and then purposely jams the ID card from working so to that. give them the opportunity to get into deeper into the facility so they can get where they need to dive in to right. get into the Taurus. And it, it's funny. He's got a little switch. Yeah. Basically, it's like jam, unjam. This is a very IMF car. It totally which I'm is. I'm kind of wondering how they got that to uh, Casablanca. Well, you know, they might have just had the unit, right? And Benji installed it. Again, very interesting, the tech that they just simply have on hand and other really vital technology that they really should have had that they don't have. Right. Well, <laughs> and maybe this was this is Macquarie's answer to Brad Bird's lack of technology working kind of right, thing. Right, right. Right. It's like, you know what? I think it should almost always work. And fuck you, Brad Bird. <laughs> what do you know about making movies? 
I'm so Chris, maybe, I'm so Chris maybe it's about maybe it's about ha- like having versus not having certain tech. Right. Exactly. I I, I think the point that they're trying to make here is that tech is part of the thing. Like it isn't James Bond. Right. But it shouldn't be the focus of the story one way or the other. Right. It just right. helps move the plot along. Exactly. And considering how long it took them to actually get a story here. Yeah. Probably nobody was looking at the fine details of how they got there. Right. We need to make a movie, guys. We need to not be like Jason Greenberg and try and overanalyze the shit out of things. And yes, they knew it was me that's overanalyzing things. Anyway, so Benji's preventing the gate from going in, basically to delay his entry into the facility because he has a limited amount of time and space that he can move Right. Without garnering suspicion. So, uh, meanwhile, we, we cut back to Ethan, who uses kind of the cool, I think the coolest gadget in the whole movie to it, bust that glass. It was a sonic glass breaker. Yeah, it but was it, very cool. It hit it with like a thump, and it, was it basically... Like almost silent. And and it turned the glass to dust. Yeah. So, no noise with the glass dropping or right, anything. Right, it was just... Yeah, it was it was kind of cool. Yeah, like in terms of uh, would that be a cool? I don't know what I would use it for. Actually, I do know what I use it for. I use it the people who park crooked in the parking lots <laughs> over the line. I would be popping all their windows out with my little poppy gadget. Um, but I, I would use my superpowers for evil. We all know that. Um, anyway, so they they break the pane of glass. They jump down onto the catwalk thing, and you have to. Remember, this is during the day, which was kind of an interesting way of going about this. Usually yeah. you would film something like this at night to get that whole stealthy thing. Yeah. No, they're straight up there in the day, mm-hmm. busting windows. Well, you know, we got a full day of action headed our way. Oh, I, it's just starting now. <laughs> yeah. And we all know how much Ben hates a night chase scene. So <laughs> maybe it's better that the car scene was during the day. <laughs> He'll get all wonky about well, how many you know, people are on the road. That's right. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they get onto the catwalk. They start heading for the water outfall. And we cut back to Benji, who's like, okay, we're in. So you can go in. And then Benji hits the other button on his conveniently placed technology. Yes. Uh, and the gate, it just clears him and the gate just opens. Right. Like the security guard's like, like eh, hold on a second. Right. Let me run the card through and make sure it's not a glitch. It's like, oh, it's green. Sure. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Go ahead. I loved your movie, by the way. I love zombies. Um, no. So Benji's inside. Ethan and Ilsa uh, make their way to the entrance point to the outfall where the water... It's just basically, this thing is where they bring in water from the ocean and recirculate it into the Taurus right. to keep it cold out in there and to keep the water pressure and everything perfectly balanced. It's sort of like the photon... It's sort of like the exhaust port. The photon torpedoes have to go in. It's that kind of a MacGuffin, right? It's <laughs> and you- honestly, to me, all I kept thinking was the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, from yeah. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. George <laughs> Just, Lucas has a lot of thing about things going in holes. I don't know <laughs> if that's a thing for him, like toes for Tarantino. I okay. don't really know. But anyway, so they get to this point. Ilsa's now on some kind of like you know high techie iPad, uh, yeah, hacking super the control, iPad. right? Hacking the controls of the turbine so that when Ethan goes in there. He's not being, I don't know, torn limb from limb from water pressure right? <laughs> um, to, to get him through there. Meanwhile, Ethan is kind of you know doing breathing exercises, getting into his swimming outfit. Uh, and as all this is happening, uh, Benji is walking through. There's a lot of ex- extrapolation here as we, for some reason, have to beat home the fact that he has to hold his breath for a long time. They really like, beat like that home. Like we didn't like, get that before. Well, they they really make put that at the forefront of everything because with that armband on, it's literally like a fuel tank. 
Right. It it's shows like, him oxygenating his blood, getting the O2 right. levels where they need to be. It's like the world's greatest Fitbit. It like, really is, kind of. <laughs> like, I forearm. would wear one if it did that. <laughs> right. But it's it's just so there for the audience so much. Right. Just so that people can be like, oh, green, he's fine. And then it, when it turns to black or whatever it is, then, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I felt weird that they had to explain this whole situation again when they clearly outlined what the stakes were in the scene before. It's a very, uh, it almost feels like a very TV network note sort of thing where yeah. they got to beat you over the head with the same premise over and over again. Or, you know, again. every time you start a comic, the first two pages are explaining what happened in the comic before. Right. I, it was annoying to me. Maybe they just felt <laughs> like, well, we need to give Benji something to say here. Right. <laughs> where basically this is showing Benji's in the building, getting ready to go through his thing. And same time, Ethan's getting ready to do his thing. Benji gets to the fingerprint scan, which is uh, what gets him on the elevator to get down to the magic get smart hallway. Right. <laughs> uh, with which he has to open many doors. That's indeed. Um, <laughs> so using her super high spiffy iPad, uh, Ilsa maneuvers the metal platform that they're on. Uh, she moves it directly over the the outfall so that basically Ethan's got a straight shot to getting into where he right needs down, to go. Right, yeah. The current, which will still be flowing in there, will take him down into the Taurus. Uh, again, not the Ford car. The donut-shaped. Um, but the donut-shaped uh, computer array <laughs> thingy. That's a technical term. Yes. Liquid-cooled. Right, liquid-cooled by nature. <laughs> Benji then, continuing to be an asshole, apparently, <laughs> uh, reminds him that it's in slot 108. He's really reminding us that it's in slot 108. Yes. Honestly, did we need to know this information? Probably not. Probably not. Tom's going to stop where Tom needs to go. Right. But, and, and but you know, admittedly, <laughs> it's probably said out loud for assholes like us who call them out when they don't say stuff like this. That's fair. During the ghost protocol review where, how did Ethan know exactly which USB to stick that thing into when he's in the server room? <laughs> you're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. They, they directly heard that credit, that criticism from the future. Yep. And applied it here in the past. That's right. So anyway, <laughs> Benji points out to him it's slot 108 and that he's dead if he screws up. So, you know, good luck, Ethan. Hoot. Try and relax. <laughs> <laughs> so Ethan takes the big dive. And as he's going into the water, we see Benji arriving at the first combo lock. Elsa then turns the cooling system back on, stopping the water current so that Ethan's not fighting to get around when he is in there. And you do see that visually represented as, as yeah. he's struggling to swim, and then it it basically goes to a neutral. Right. And so he's just basically in a swimming pool at this point. Right. Where he's holding his breath for three and a half minutes. Sure. No problem. And as we pointed out, <laughs> why did he have to learn how to hold his breath for six minutes? I don't know. Maybe because of the filming aspect of it? I suppose I guess so. that's probably what it is. Because I saw, I watched that featurette. and Yeah, I mean, where they, they filmed... literally timed him for six minutes. And yeah. I, I thought it was funny, too, the, during the featurette, at the very end of it, when they're about to pull him out of the water, one of the guys off camera says, well, let's not freak everybody out too much. And as in, let's 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 get out now. <laughs> yeah, like maybe he had another two minutes in him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, brain damage starts at three. I just want to point that out to everybody. I've seen that in like literally TV. I've read it in books. I don't know if it's true. I can't say I've read a medical journal that says three minutes and you start having brain damage. Right. But I've always heard that if you are not, if you're dead, for more than three minutes and there's no that's oxygen the getting to your brain, starts. that's when you start having brain damage. If there is any clear proof <laughs> that there's at least some positronic network action going on in that head of his, that's got to be it. 
because he was repeatedly holding his breath for more than three minutes during uh-huh. the filming of this thing. Yep. And he's fine. Ish. <laughs> Ish. I'm just saying. Anyway, Ethan's down there. He's swimming, getting to the right place he needs to be at. There's a lot going on in this scene. Yeah. He's down in the Taurus. Aside from the breath holding and the suspense that you're getting in there, there's these arms fucking moving around. <laughs> right, the automated arms that end up hitting him, and then the the cards go flying. Well, and-, and I'm trying to understand what the arm is moving around. It's clearly an access device to get into the thing where the data cards are at. Well, but how probably- often do you need to switch that information around if they're storing data profiles in here? It, who knows? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's don't know. obviously there to be an impediment, which is what it ends up being, right? But I'm trying to understand the logic of the spinny donut arm. I I just think it's probably, you know, when they do occasionally have to access something or or change something, that's what the arm's there for. But it's moving a lot. That's what I'm saying. Like, you would think it would mostly just be sitting there not doing anything. Exactly. Not not constantly rotating. Exactly. What I instead of having number one oh eight explained to me, maybe <laughs> Benji could explain to me that these arms have to move for a specific reason right. because Tom's got the magic card that for some reason looks exactly like the other magic card. And I thought there was going to be more of that to happen later. But right. as he gets in and gets into the perfectly aligned tool that he needs to get in there, by the way, I have to yep. admit that's great. Pops it open. <laughs> Pulls out the other card. Jesse's getting ready to insert Benji's card. Gets hit by one of these fucking arms <laughs> whose job was clear there to hit him when he's trying to do something important. Right. So he gets knocked out. He's flying around trying to hold his breath because if he doesn't, he dies. The cards. And I do love how they're all just sort of floating in space. Just, right. He's just sort of like reaching out for the for right. the two cards that are just kind of floating right there in front of him. He's just, ah. Yeah, it, that was the most CGIE thing in the whole movie. Probably, Because yeah. those were not real cards. Uh, no. uh, I don't care. It, it was him acting like he was grabbing for cards. I'll give you that. Yes. The cards were not directly in front of him. Um, so now Ethan's trying to get the cards back, going around the array, trying to grab the stupid cards. And we see on his band that the oxygen is... It's starting to is, run is out. It's starting to run out. In the meantime, uh, Benji has gotten through all of his magic combination lock spinny ring uh, problems over here in the Get yeah. Smart hallway. I do. love that little ring that he's got yeah. that automatically turns the dial for him to it's, the exact combo. I don't understand how it works, but it's really cool. It's really cool. Right? Yeah. And it kind of, he holds his hand there like he's actually doing it, but, right. the, the, but it's doing the all the work is doing for all him. the work for him. Um, so he's finally cleared those hurdles and he's getting ready to get in the section where he's going to get shocked, but they won't be able to pull off his mask because he's not wearing a mask. <laughs> um, the card is still not in where Ethan needs to be or have it in there so that it reads that it's Benji. He's swimming around. He's running out of air. We don't know what's going to happen. He gets the card. And it's funny. He only grabs one card. We never see him grab the second card. Apparently he grabbed the right one. But but well, he has two cards when he's still when he gets there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Because he, he has to duck again or whatever. And then yeah. only has the one card. I'm like, hope that's the right one. Right. And, and puts it in. Biddling, it works. Yay. Yeah. Uh, Benji, who actually starts walking through the thing before it gets installed in there. Right. And, it, and he's just like on a wing and a prayer. Yeah, he's he's in mid-step. He's like, <laughs> oh, don't, don't, don't chuck. Don't chuck. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he gets through. Everything is copacetic from that side of it. Now Ethan is hurriedly swimming over to the the exit to get out of the Taurus. Okay. Now, I will bring it up here. This moment coming up is... So hard for me to watch because I have a great fear of drowning. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really do. It's actually what has stopped me from learning how to do scuba. Okay. <laughs> and so that moment when he's trying to open the portal to get out, and then it's first you see him and he's buckling, and Tom Cruise is doing a really good job of selling. He totally is. He does a great job of selling that he is out of air and he's just just kind of jerking right. and you know like he's he's done he's out and the camera turns back around and it becomes a pov shot of of what he's seeing right and his hands let go of the of the thing that opens the portal and it floats backwards that was terrifying to me <laughs> it's just and there's no music playing Right. It's just water it's just water so it's and just... tom cruise drowning at least <laughs> either drowning yeah it's uh, uh, it, it it definitely worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, the whole scene super it was super convincing, and they went through that level of realism to get it to that, which is why yeah. you know they were like, we're not doing this with CGI. This is really happening underwater. This is right. really they're really it's not stakes. Nobody's going to let Tom Cruise die if they can avoid it. But he was acting in the environment. And using that to play a convincing role, right? Right. Whereas, like, oftentimes in a in a CG environment where it's not the actual environment at all, it's just green screen. Yeah, they don't feel like there's the same level of stakes. Yeah, and and your body just knows it, right? And so you're not going to behave in a natural yeah. form. You're not having the visceral reaction to what you're watching because you know it's not really happening, right? And this is why I'm so excited for the ocean, the notion of Tom Cruise filming a space movie <laughs> in outer space. In outer space. How much could he sell it? I've seen him sell space movies without it. How much could he sell it with it? I know. Oh my God. Make this happen, Paramount <laughs> Pictures. But anyway, so he is dead. <laughs> he's basically we're not, we're not dead. I wonder if he's dead. He's dead. And Benji knows it. Ilsa knows it. Ilsa takes well, it. Well, Benji deep. doesn't know anything yet. Well, that's true. He doesn't because he comes in later. But Ilsa knows he's dead. Yeah. And so she dives in. To with, the rescue. With her rescue with your puny one minute, 58 seconds. <laughs> right. And then we see this. The thing that I, and I've said this before, the thing I like the most about the Mission Impossible movies is they're real people. They're in yeah. unreal situations, but it's not like I can just do it and bada boom. Right. She gets in there. She misses on the first attempt. Right. Yeah. She the gets fact that Ethan they miss. on the first, but she misses the door on the first attempt. And they have to circle so they, they all gotta the go way around back. the horn. Because she can't <laughs> swim with him at this point because the current is running. Through. Right. He's dead weight at this point. Yeah. So she gets over and thank God Ethan manages to get a pull just enough that all she has to do is do one little tug and they go shoom, shoom right out through there. Is there a differential in pressure? Uh, I, I feel like in a liquid-cooled environment like that, I don't know. I guess I need to know how the Taurus works. Yeah. Because they go shooting out like a fucking rocket. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm sure there probably is. There's probably a differential in pressure with the way the water well, is. Well, and isn't the water moving really fast now at this point? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a little bit of inconsistency going on in this Taurus scene because... When Ethan does drown and he floats away, he floats away very slowly. Mm -hmm. If that thing was at full full well, steam, he would have been flying around that, I think, that thing. But I think that's the thing. When it's shut off, it's moving at full steam. When it's fully activated, it's neutral inside the torus. Oh, I see. I see, see, and it sounds counterintuitive. I guess. So she had to shut it off again 
so that she could dive in to get there and that she just didn't turn it back on again. No, but remember the the engineers turn it back on. While she's in there? I don't know about that. I because, just they just never show her turning it off. Right, but I think the I'm making the assumption that she had to get in the same way Ethan did. Ah, I see. And so <laughs> the water was turbulent down there. That's how I'm justifying the nonsense <laughs> that's happening in the donut computer. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the back of my head all I'm thinking of is But anyway, so out they go, and okay, um, (laughs) they're out of the thing. So Benji, who's done, gets to his car. Drives to some unlocated, undisclosed. Yet another undisclosed undisclosed location location. where Ilsa has uh, dragged Ethan out from wherever underwater to wherever they're supposed wherever to meet up. Wherever they ended up, yeah. And one assumes it's close to where they are because it's still Tom Cruise. maybe little Tom Cruise, but he's still <laughs> going to be massy Tom Cruise. Right. But he's dead. He, <laughs> he He's done dead. So she has a full, ironically, a full-size defibrillator. Yeah, just... Not yeah. a portable AED unit or something like that. Yeah, they just had it there. Full-size, yep. clear they had it. thing. They just had it on hand, again. Um, And shocks him. To get him back. And of course, you know, he's revived. He hasn't had oxygen going to his brain for probably 10 minutes at this point. Right. Which at least he's a little loopy when he comes out of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but not, and definitely not really sure what's going on. Yeah. He's, Maybe missed a couple chunks of little short term memory. Mm-hmm. Yep. But he's still Tom Cruise. He's still Ethan Hunt. He's, he's still, still Ethan Hunt. Yeah. He's still ready to go. Benji then arrives, realizes kind of what's going on. Sees that uh, Ethan's alive, and Ethan is, hey, Veggie! You're right. What's up? Because <laughs> Veggie's all like, we did it, we did it, Ethan. Yeah! Benji's like freaking out, and then... What do we do? <laughs> hey, Benji! Ethan's very punchy. He realizes what happens. He realizes that Ilsa uh, saved him. He's like, I misjudged you. She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> sure. We, we got the thing, Ethan! And so he's got the... The information downloaded from the computer system. And this is where we get her changing out of her yeah, wet things. This is this is interesting. It's like, are they trying to be sexy? Are they what are they trying to do here? I feel like with the topless Ilsa, but but with her back to the yeah, cam- I, back I, to the camera and it feels like such an ill-timed moment for it. It's yeah. almost like you're trying I think they were trying to establish that she was not planning on sticking around. So she was she didn't care that Benji was there. She needed to get herself where she didn't She needed to get changed and get out of there. Yeah, in, in a hurry because she had the information that she needed. Right. Can I just say right now, what an amazing back on that woman. Well, I mean, it well, was Yeah. I just I you know, I don't really I'm not a back guy. <laughs> but it's a good back. It's it's a really good back. It's an excellent back. Baby, baby, in this case, does got back. Baby got back. But not the back that we're singing about in the song. Right. She got a really nice back. Nice back. Uh, but anyway, Benji's all like, I totally misjudge you. Ba da da da. Bob's your uncle. She gets shocked. It doesn't kill him, by the way. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of a head scratcher. Yeah. Like she turned it all the way down to like. She must have. <laughs> I mean, it's a full size unit. She probably dialed it down to almost taser and hits him with the. Thank God both paddles or she would have right. actually electrocuted him. Very on brand for Benji to be so excited about getting the drive. Right. That he doesn't notice that she gets behind him and shocks him. Right. And of course, Ethan, who's like, uh, I don't know what is happening here, says, oh, that's not what those are for. I think she's a bad guy. I need to go after her. Which they do. 
We get to the car chase. <laughs> who doesn't love a car chase? Who doesn't love a car chase? I love me a car chase. Luther and Brant, who are uh, in Morocco because they figured out where Ilse is because of the train station and everything. Well, you want to talk about two people who aren't maybe the best uh, mates. No. <laughs> no. Driving around. Just, just constantly nipping at each other right. about everything. Like an old everything. married couple. Right. You know, like Brant's complaining that Luther still hasn't found anybody on his little computer, you know, as far as using the facial ID, whatnot. And then later on, he's, or actually Brant, it's Brant that's constantly complaining because Brant's like, you had to get the four by four. You couldn't get a smaller car. Like, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, they're just, they're bitching at each other like an old married couple. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, you couldn't do this right. Couldn't do that right. But uh, as they're trying to find through the scanning facial ID thing that, my God, <laughs> this just becomes such a MacGuffin in every single movie, or not even a MacGuffin. It's like, oh, there's all these cameras. If only we could access them, we could find anything. And I'm like, really, you know... You'd need 18,000 pairs of eyes. Yeah. Everyone looking at a different lens. The, the idea that there's software that exists that can find somebody based off of one image through and then access every camera in the universe just seems completely implausible to me and we do it all the time and i'm sure it's probably not as implausible as i'd like it to be but well, it's definitely less implausible now than, right. it, than it was when this movie was made right but, absolutely yeah. but it's like how do we solve a problem like maria <laughs> right we put her on facial recognition and we find out where she is with her boyfriend that's right um either way so we're running this thing and as they're doing it we see ilsa emerge looking for a car um, and she's surrounded by Lane's men because she gets out with the thing thinking she's scot-free. Right. She's going to go do what she's actually planning on doing. But no, here comes Victor and the dipshit crew. Um, <laughs> all on motorcycles. All on motorcycles. Like, hey. We just, ha we just happen to have an extra motorcycle for you. For you. <laughs> and why motorcycles? Because we haven't had a motorcycle chase yet. So Also, like, where's Ethan? <laughs> yeah, where's Ethan? Oh, he's dead. Which, he wasn't really dead. She's not that, she's she not wasn't entirely, entirely lying. lying. <laughs> uh, maybe you could have said Benji's dead. I don't know. But we jump back to Benji finally waking up and Ethan saying, they got to go get her before Lane gets to her because we need that. Yes. Um, and so now they're back to Ilsa. She's gotten somehow into the tightest motorcycle outfit ever. They brought it for her. Okay. She didn't have that. They brought it for <laughs> they're her. They're like, please wear this. Right. <laughs> for us. <laughs> wear just, this. Just for us. Wear this. <laughs> Could you do that for me? Because that would be great. And just as she's about to ride off with them, she does a burnout, you know, half J-turn donut thingy, knocks them all down with her motorcycle, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then takes off on her own. So... We cut back to uh, Ethan and Benji running through to the car, and Ethan tries to do his best Starsky and Hutch slide across the hood thing, but he's still a little, I don't know, oxygen deprived. And so, just a touch, just plump right onto the ground. <laughs> There's a lot of comedy in this, which helps to kind of tamper. The, yes. the the tension that's going on. Right. And it's well placed, as you pointed out earlier. They they it wasn't played up for comedy. It's sort of like, let's break up the pacing. Here we need a moment. Here we need a moment. Here we right. need a moment. Right. Especially um, coming up. Right. But he he pops back up and Betty's like, uh, should you be driving? You were just dead like five minutes ago. <laughs> right. And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Ethan's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like he doesn't remember what happened the last 20 minutes. <laughs> right. And he hasn't had time to ask to get clarification. So they quickly run into Ilsa and they start pursuing her in this BMW that they're driving. They go down this gigantic set of stairs, which... I keep wondering, 
whenever I whenever this chase starts and you've got all these shots of them in the car, how much of this was was Simon Pegg on for the ride? Like I'm trying to figure out like what Simon Pegg agreed to withstand, I guess, or or endure. Because, or got convinced by Tom Cruise that we could pull off. Yeah, because you know, when they get hit with the airbags, when they flip end over end and it's and the camera's inside the car, mm-hmm. I'm like, how did they shoot that? And how banged up did Simon Pegg get? I mean, I'm used to Tom Cruise getting banged up. That's just what he does. Right. But like for Simon Pegg to be subjected to all that, I'm just sort of like, how much of this was like one of those things where they just like had the frame of a car and just sort of shook it? So again, edited pretty flawlessly. Yeah. Right. But there's a quote that says that the stunt guy had to use Tom Cruise for these scenes because he was literally the best driver that he had on set to do right. these scenes. <laughs> right. So I'm guessing you're seeing 80 to 85% of the actual car chase because when you see them in the car, He's, that's them. Yeah. That's him and Simon Pegg. So yeah, Simon Pegg had to agree to some shit that he probably wasn't 100% on. <laughs> right. But Tom Cruise can be a very persuasive human being when he wants to <laughs> you be. You don't say. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the scene where the airbags pop and everything else, that was done in a soundstage. Yeah. The car doing the flips that it was doing felt very cgi there's also some CGI's with the amount of traffic during the motorcycle chase as well. So there's some integrated stuff that didn't happen during the car chase. But the straight-up car chase scene where you're seeing the full body on car, cruise and peg, that's Tom driving the car. Now, they did say that like on the steps, they had to put boards to on the steps. Right. So what we're seeing inside that scene, I'm pretty sure that's inside the car, where they're like, blump, 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 and they're being shook. By the thing and hitting their heads and stuff like that. Right. That's not them driving in the actual car. Oh, okay. That's at least I don't believe it is. I could right. be wrong. If the special effects person from the movie would like to let us know, hey, we'll be happy to hear from we'd you. We'd love to have you on the show. We'd love to have you on the show multiple times. I love special effects, so I'll talk to you all day long. <laughs> uh, but anyway, digressing. <laughs> so they're following right down a big flight of the stairs. Benji's not happy because he's getting his head knocked into the dashboard because. Ethan's a maniac. <laughs> Not long after that, we see um, Victor and the goon squad coming on their motorcycles, also driving down the stairs. Basically, we start this chase of Ilsa being chased by Ethan and Benji in a car, being chased by the goon squad and the motorcycles behind him. Right. And hilarity ensues. Ensues, right? Ethan slams his car into another car, and who happens <laughs> to be going the other direction but Brant and Luther in their land cruiser. <laughs> They're like... Hi. And, yeah. then, and then I love Benji kind of pointing and going, hey, I know you guys, <laughs> right? It feels like a Spielberg moment. It very much In so. this movie. Ethan's like, okay, got to keep going. And off they go. And then you get the whole bit with Brant and Luther trying to turn trying this to giant. Back this Defender 110, the long wheelbase version, <laughs> around in this tiny little alley. It is so the Austin Powers moment. It absolutely is. Where Austin is. Powers is trying to turn that golf cart thing was around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the motorcycle dudes catch up and try to shoot uh, Ilsa, but <laughs> Ethan comes up from behind him and just says, no way, motherfucker. Pow! Guy goes up on the windshield. Off he goes. Sorry. A lot of people falling off motorcycles in the next 10 minutes here, people. The rest of the goons arrive, and Ethan veers to draw them away from Ilsa. All the driving in here is amazing. It just goes to prove that Tom Cruise really can do anything. 
I do like in here too, we're, we're coming up on the moment where he does like this handbrake turn. Yes. Where, where he pulls the e-brake and, and spins around backwards. And I think it's in part to knock out some of the guys that yes. are on either side of him. And then he just throws it into reverse. And now like he's going in reverse with the guys pursuing them. And right. Well, he gets so they're in the alleyway. He sees there's a truck parked in the alleyway. And that's kind of that's, that's what, what he does. Is he trying to block off using the truck right. to take care of the people? Yeah, it's just... Well, you could say there was a lot of thought that was put into this uh, this yes. particular car chase, which is why I love it so much. Now, I will say, now normally, I'm very uh, critical of car chases where there aren't very many people on the sides of the roads and things. As, as we just discussed as, momentarily. As, yes, uh, as I've moment illustrated ago. before. Yes, yes. Uh, but what I will say is this one works really well for me because they're in such tight corners. That's the cheat for me is the, the fact that all of these roadways are between buildings right and they're, they're in alleyways yeah they're all in alleyways it's tiny little roads it helps create the intensity yeah. whereas i won't even bring up the other <laughs> two cars driving at night right on, so unbelievable on a big wide road where nobody else is so unbelievable in the middle of the okay okay anyway moving on <laughs> <laughs> we've tr- we've covered that ground a lot yes so. yes we have so basically they're going backwards on here they're getting ready to get to another stairwell and tom's like well this is the end of the line here so he's like he's like did you make sure you wear your seatbelt is your seatbelt on you're asking me now benji says <laughs> um and they hit the stairs and poo they go flying off of the stairs doing like what 12 backflips in the car, yeah, end they, over they end. hit, they hit, then the then the airbags, the airbags deploy, and then they flip, yeah, lengthwise, they're, they're bumper end to over bumper, end. end over end, <laughs> finally landing on top on the roof of the car, <laughs> and as they're in there, one motor, the last remaining motorcycle rolls up. And Ethan's like, I, I, my, again, the seatbelt won't come out when I need it to uncome out. <laughs> right. It's like seatbelts are the most independent. I would never wear a seatbelt if seatbelts actually work like they do in movies. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't get out. This is horseshit. <laughs> um, and just as the guy pulls out a science pistol, he's getting ready to go. And then, patoomp, here comes the Land Cruiser to save the day. Indeed. And Branch is like, hey, I just ran this guy over. You guys okay? <laughs> That's so, a pretty good impression of, of yeah. Jeremy Renner, by the right, way. Right. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, so uh, they get Ethan gets out, and as he's kind of getting his bearings, uh, which I'm still feeling he's a little loopy right. from everything, Ilsa goes flying by on the motorcycle. Right. And, of course, the dead dude in the helmet, his motorcycle's right there. Yeah. Well, so you know, I'm we, Ethan Hunt. <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm going to go Ethan Hunt. <laughs> but I do love when Benji... Finally wakes up from being knocked out and he's upset. Yes. He's like, ah, look out. Yeah, yeah, he's still reacting like to what happened. Around. Yeah, 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 exactly. So Ethan hops on the bad guy's motorcycle to go follow Ilsa. And this is, it's the complete opposite of the car chase. Because now we're in open quarters. We're on big roads. Right. They're literally on a big piece of highway. And it's said that they actually CGI'd trucks into this highway. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't as dense as it looked. And I know that the other thing that I read was that they purposefully had all the cars driving pretty slow. Yeah. All the cars were only driving, you know, like 35 or something right. something to that effect, whereas the motorcycles could just weave in and out and make it look so, right. so but they fast. Had, so they had the problem of Ethan not having a helmet on. So yeah. they couldn't have Tom Cruise driving without a helmet at 60, 70 miles an hour. 
So that's suicide. <laughs> even for Tom Cruise, even only for needs, Tom Cruise, he, that's a little nuts. If something happens, you're out of a uh, megastar, and that's yeah. that's the way it is. But through using clever angles, like you noted, the motorcycle camera that was on the motorcycle, yeah, and then using the CGI to build up the intensity, they literally said in the in the behind the scenes stuff. He had to go fast enough that his hair looked like he was going fast enough. Right. And the rest of it, they just sort of dialed in with camera angles and yeah. and CGI adding to the drama. Of right. Things. And they did use a lot of low camera angles, like low to the ground. And the moment you're low to the ground, you're going even over 35 miles an hour, you're looking like you're flying. Well, yeah. It's like if you're sitting in a car and you're just driving on a street road, if you're looking ahead of you... You're going 40 miles an hour. If you look out the side at, at the, the road and the curb, at the road below it's moving you. super fast. Right. Just a really good way of selling the whole thing. And it goes back to what you said. So now they're on a highway and it feels like a crowded highway. Yeah. Like this is a real highway where things are happening. They right. took the effort to not make it look like maybe there should have been one or two more people out in Rome than there were <laughs> exactly. at three o'clock in the morning. They made it look extremely dangerous. Right. You know, in its own way, I think it's actually a better part of the chase than the car chase scene was. Yeah. Just because it's so much more open. You get these big sweeping, I'm, I'm assuming helicopter shots. Yeah. You know, where or they're drone at the very least. Right. Yeah. Where they're going around the mountain roads and it, it just, it's, it's much more dare I say, cinematic uh, <laughs> in terms of the scale. Yeah. But Chase is still a chase no matter how you chase it. <laughs> uh, but as they're riding along, somehow we get some more goons on motorcycles. It's like there's an endless supply <laughs> of syndicate motorcycle goons. Well, that screen that had all those dead dudes on it. That's true. There's a lot of them. And Ethan was really going out of his way to make them actually dead. Yes. Apparently. So they're weaving in and out of traffic. Ethan gets, <laughs> the one guy does go down like a punk and then the bike goes over and does a speed racer kablooey over right. the cliff. I'm like, that was so speed racer right there. <laughs> Anybody in a speed racer cartoon that died went over a cliff and blew up. That's just how that shit worked. Uh, but eventually it's just him and Ilsa and they're, they're, they're cruising along and she is like really booking. She's probably at least a quarter mile ahead of him. Right. She goes around and he comes around a blind turn and suddenly she's just standing there. Right. She just walks right into the middle of right. the street. In the middle of the road. Tom's like, oh, fuck. And <laughs> locks him up. Bike goes down. He tumbles and rolls a couple of times. That shirt he's wearing must be so durable. Well, it looked like it was made out of like pixie dust and unicorn skin. It was so bright and sparkly. <laughs> so maybe it was. <laughs> I don't know. Like when he took the blazer out, he didn't have the blazer on, just had the shirt underneath him. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck are you wearing, Ethan? <laughs> <laughs> but okay, whatever. But yeah, so he goes tumbling. His bike is toast. I mean, it's probably still rideable, but considering he was just dead like 10 minutes ago, right. <laughs> um, and then he just rolled himself on a motorcycle at like 60 miles an hour purportedly. Um, <laughs> he's just basically like, oh, what just happened? And then, you know, Ilsa's like, okay, getting back on my motorcycle, going the other way. And it's funny. She's wearing a helmet. All you see are Rebecca Ferguson's eyes right. when she's doing it. And the look she gives him as she's riding off where she puts the visor back down, so forlorn. Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry I had to do this to you. I'm like, how are you conveying that level of emotion with this? She's fantastic, she's, man. Yeah, I just, She really wow. is. She, she, yeah, just, and then flips down the visor. Flips down the visor and goes off. Strangely, towards where the other IMF agents are at. Who knows? Maybe she missed her exit. 
<laughs> Damn it, I wanted to get off on Casablanca. I needed to get off on Rick's American <laughs> Damn Drive. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> anyway, so afterwards, the guys show up, and Ethan just looks over at Benji. Please tell me you have a copy of that disc. <laughs> and Benji's like, of course I do. <laughs> I always have a copy. I'm Benji. <laughs> That's what I do. That's what I do. So we cut to uh, being back in jolly old England. Look, kids. Big Ben. Parliament. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Did you know that Big Ben was part of Parliament? I do now. So Ilsa is meeting up with Atley, who this is the first time we see Atley in the film, but you get pretty clear who he is right from the get-go. Yeah. Because he looks like, as I said before, the perfect British bureaucrat. Right. right? With his glasses and his, mm-hmm. his hair also mm-hmm. pretty blue. And of course, he's got to be a spy because he's wearing a, a, a trench coat yes. uh, while he's waiting in the park. Mm, yes. Mm. Quite so. Uh, <laughs> Ilsa comes up to him. She hands over the disc. Well, it's not really a disc. It's a thumb drive. But she hands over. They keep calling it a disc, which is weird. Yeah. It's not a disc. It's a thumb drive. Even in 2015, we knew the difference between a disc and a thumb drive. <laughs> but whatever. She hands over the information to Atlee, yes. letting him know that it, it it's the syndicate's entire ledger. It's containing the infrastructure, the money, everything they need to know. However, Atlee's all like, uh, but what if he did it for you to prove that it was what it was, yeah, but it isn't just, really what it said it was. I know, just all this loopy talk of, well, maybe he just did it to think, made you think that she thought that we said yeah, that yeah, he exactly. did that. All you're getting from him is it's like, oh, you're not finished. And Ilsa, who went undercover, as they explain in this, right. to infiltrate this and that they made her look like a bad person to get her into the kind of graces that Lane would want her. All she's been looking for is getting out of this clown circus where she's almost had to kill people. Where and, he doesn't even barely trust her anyway. Right. Knowing that her life is at risk regardless. And Natalie's like, eh, I don't think you're done. Right. <laughs> it's like, eh, I think you're going back out there again. And man, it's just... She sells it too. Just the look of dread. She's so crestfallen. The dread yes. on her face of having to go have to deal with Lane again. Yeah. She's like, no. He says to her, no, you need to take this back to him. Prove your loyalty. And this time, if Ethan Hunt gets in the way, just take him out. Fucking kill him. Right. There's no IMF anymore. Nobody's going to be mad if you do it. Right. The window's clear. Go kill him. Right. And so, you know, okay. So. <laughs> She takes the thing, she walks off. Well, and, and then, and not before, he also basically kind of blackmails her, saying, Yeah. You have no other choice. We could just as easily throw away who you really are. Right. We can make, so, yeah. So that nobody knows all the great things you did in the past. Right. If you don't get this thing That's done right. that we want you yeah. to do. He ups the ante on it, saying, There's yeah. no sense in you coming back because if you do, your life's ruined. Right. So off you go. Toodaloo. So from there, we cut back to Ethan and the team, also somewhere in London. Yet another undisclosed location. location. We are doing a lot of undisclosed locations where exposition is exposed. Absolutely. Um, But we figure out what's exactly on the drive and what it is. is, We still don't know what's on it. Well, we we just know what it is. Right. We know what it is. And what it is, is a red box, which purportedly the British government uses to transport state secrets. Uh, it is triple encrypted, which means absolutely fucking nothing. Um, and only the prime minister of Great Britain can open it. Because you need retina scan. Okay. You need yes. fingerprint, I believe. You need a handprint, a retinal scan, and a verbal 
right. confirmation with a password. They say it's encrypted. What they really mean is it's triple protected. Right. Because <laughs> encryption is not the same thing as, as protection. Yeah. These are passwords. Right. This is facial recognition like on your phone. It's not an encryption. But should I get hung up on technical terms? I think in 2015, I have a right to get a little hung up for it because Q in the Daniel Craig Bond movies isn't going to confuse encryption for With, security measures. For security measures. But fine, we'll, we'll let it go. From this information, Ethan surmises that Lane is going to try and take the prime minister. It's not much of a stretch. Brant and Ethan start arguing about whether they should alert MI6. Ethan's like, no, they're going to go find Lane again before anything can happen to the prime minister. But this is really where Brant has to commit or bail on yeah. what's happening here. Because he's starting to see the level of Ethan crazy again up front. Right. He's like, these are our, like our most steadfast allies in the world. The thing in this scene is, it's almost as if Ethan has figured the whole thing out. Right. But isn't sharing with everybody else. Right. He's got this aha moment. And this is where you got to kind of wonder, why is he playing it that close to the chest? Obviously, he wasn't because of the next setup. Everybody's aware of what's happening. Right. But how did he get from A, B, C, W? Right. Right? Yeah. You know, what? how did all those dots connect? He comes up with this fantastically intricate plan to make things happen. But ultimately, he convinces Brant this is the way to go. Right. Brant's like, you know, and I'm into it. It's fine. I got <laughs> I got a backup job with Nick Fury. If the shit doesn't work out. <laughs> I got a whole pack of specialty arrows I, just sitting in the back of my car. And my right best now. friend, I mean, <laughs> she's hot, but we're not doing nothing. My wife, however, is Linda Cardellini, so I'm not complaining. Um, so it's fine. It's fine. Ethan, I'll go on this last ride with you. It's fine. Let's do it. So basically, uh, you know, as they're they're coming this little, you know, okay, I'm ready to go thing. Uh, Luther's uh, facial recognition thing picks up Ilsa again. How convenient. <laughs> well, let's face it. Um, if I was a computer uh, simulation trying to find people's faces, I would be looking for Rebecca Ferguson's face, too. <laughs> I would, too. <laughs> um, so let's give it some credit for having taste. Right. Right? So from there, we cut back to Ilsa going back to Lane again, again. with more bad news. Except it's good news this time. They all think it's good news until it becomes bad news. <laughs> well, this is true. We're meeting at a cemetery. <laughs> Interesting. I feel like there's a message being uh, put here, but maybe not. Ilsa goes up to Lane, gives him the drive. Mr. Victor Bone Doctor is hooking the drive up to the laptop. Uh, we get this little conversation between Ilsa and Lane about trust and why they don't trust each other. And Lane asks why she doesn't commit. And she calls him out as a terrorist, basically. Because facts. You know, because <laughs> that's what you are. Uh, and he August, argues that he's not a terrorist because he's not spreading fear. He's just being very surgical in reaching his aims, right. which is exactly what a terrorist would Does. say. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of proven Ilsa's point right there. <laughs> right. Um, this is where we find out that the disc has been emptied and the situation becomes just a little bit more grim. Because you're left wondering what Lane is going to do, make Ilsa do. Yeah, because then we get that, her? again, we get that sharp breathing. And yeah. then he does that that creepy thing where he puts his hand on her face. Yes. And she's just like, shit, shit, yeah. shit. <laughs> We're kind of at this point where she's on her last leg. And Lane's like, 
you need to make this right. Or you're dead. Or you're dead. That's really all it is. And we cut to uh, another Ethan, train station. Yeah, <laughs> in a, yet another train station. This is definitely the moment where it's kind of established that Ethan and Ilsa really like each other. Yeah, they're really into each other. Basically, he meets her. She's sitting in a little cafe inside the train station. Um, there's a lot of like cafe sitting also in this yes. movie. Yeah. Um, Ethan walks up to her and you know Benji and Brant Luther are all... Surrounding, which he yeah, points out. Benji waves. Yeah, and- Benji waves. <laughs> Luther intimidates. Branch is like, sup. <laughs> right. So um, Ethan walks up and he's like, well, I have to say, you sure can ride. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, what are you trying to say there, Ethan? Aren't you married, you naughty boy? <laughs> um, Ethan, of course, you know, is he's not mad at her for what she did. Right. He realizes now, because with his super ability to see the future, why she did it. (laughs) He's like, you're just doing your job. You're just doing your job. I'm not taking it personally. I mean, honestly, you're so hot. (laughs) You really have to work at it to get me mad at you. Um, uh, He does admit that he's a little shocked that Atlee didn't bring her in. But, you know, you would think he wouldn't be shocked. Because he seems to have already figured everything out. Well, you know. But he hasn't. So, okay, whatever. She points out that the that the disc was blank. Benji, who's listening in on the comms, says that's a lie. Uh, Benji doesn't make blank copies of things. He no. makes copies of things. That's right. That's what uh, Benji do. That's what Benji's job literally is in the movie. And it was an exact copy. Uh, Ethan then asked, you know, uh, was it in her possession the whole time? And that's where she has the aha moment that... Maybe there was something underneath Atlee's newspaper right. that might have erased an entire flash drive. A phone that can do that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm like flash drive, solid state drive. Sure. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, basically, Atlee wiped the disc when she handed it over to him. And now you're like, well, why would he do that? Right. But it makes you wonder about what's actually on the disc. Well, what? yeah, what's on the disc? What's driving everything? It's supposed to be leading you to having a greater understanding when we get to the final scenes of the movie. Yes. Um, but anyway, all of Ethan's dudes start talking in the com, asking questions. Why is she still alive? The disc is blank. Unless, of course, Lane wanted them to find her or him. Bum, 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 bum. Right. Uh, Ethan is asking who she worked for, and she argues that they're really all the same and that Ethan has three choices. He can hand her, the, her and the disc to the CIA, or he can let Ilsa go free and use the disc to bait and trap Lane, or they could just run away together into the sunset. <laughs> and I like when she's describing each of the different options. The first one, everybody's everybody on the comms is like, yep, yep sounds good yep, to me. That's it. That's the one. And then she's like, but you know they won't believe you. And then <laughs> immediately Luther's like, she has a point. Yeah. Well, and that's the funny thing is like she comes up with the right option, the Ethan option. Right. And then the Ilsa option. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm sure Ethan wasn't at any point thinking, I'll just run off with Hottie McHottie pants here. Right. Because he's the good guy. But she's like, you know, we could just leave. Right. There's always going to be these people doing these silly spy shit things. Yeah. Whether we're involved or not. Right. So why don't we let them do it and we'll just go off in the sunset and do our own thing. Right. Um, but we all know how Ethan's going to fall on this one. Um, <sighs> uh, so <laughs> Ethan uh, just assumes that Ilsa is there to deliver a message. Then suddenly the comms go out. We get a little squee kind of noise. <laughs> right. And we notice that Benji gets nabbed. 
Yes. So way to go, observing guides in the IMF. <laughs> Good job. Way to keep abreast of your surroundings. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe one guy watches Ethan completely. One guy watches everything that's happening. Right. And one guy keeps an eye on Benji because obviously the only person going to get kidnapped in this situation is Benji. is Benji. Maybe we should have been paying more attention to him. Luther's much too big. But yeah, well, <laughs> logistics-wise, yeah, yes. right? Um <laughs> So they look, they realize he's gone. Ethan and Brant run for the parking garage. Lisa's like, keep an eye on her. <laughs> Luther's big like, old, big old Luther's like, right. I'm on it. Yeah, he's pushing <laughs> it through. He's, he's like, Andre the Giant here. Giant. Everybody move. <laughs> but then we get one of my least favorite things in cinema. The magically disappearing human being. She's sitting there. Well, a person now walks by. Her. Now you see her. Now you don't. You do it with buses. You do it with trains. Some of these things I'm willing to go with. But you literally could not have seen her get up from her seat. One person steps in front of camera. And she's gone. One. Poof. And she's gone. She's a ninja. <laughs> I don't get it. I hate that stuff. I hate it even when it makes sense. Like, it's a trademark for Batman. <laughs> to just disappear while people are talking to him. Right. And I still fucking hate it. <laughs> and it's Batman. No. Anyway. So we cut back to Ethan and Brant. They're trying to catch the vehicle that's got Benji in it, but they can't. Um, as they stop and they're catching their breath, the phone rings and it's Lane demanding that Ethan bring him the unlocked disc by midnight. So basically... They have to go and get the prime minister and make all this stuff happen. So now we get my least favorite line that has now been said in multiple Mission Impossible movies where Brant is arguing with Ethan about what, whatever it is that he thinks that they shouldn't be doing. You know, in this case, it's nabbing the prime minister to unlock this disc. Right. And, and then Ethan goes on this thing about, can't you see it? This is the only way we beat him. Can't you see it? Can't you see it? Like he says it over and over again, right. like this deranged right. lunatic. Right. He's he sorted and, everything and out, seems, and now he's having his aha moment and have everything you get tied together. And the, and he says the exact same thing in Ghost Protocol. And it's just like, okay, moratorium on the phrase, can you see it? Can't you see it? Moment. Like, or at least change the verbiage. Right. Just just something. Anyway. You know, put his hands on his face and just go, Brant, trust me. Yeah, that's all you need. Just yeah. something. Just something other than the can you see it, can't you see it thing. It, you know, but it feels like in general, there's like this this subtext of them trying to bring in elements of older things into every movie. Yeah. Whether you're referring back to verbiage, bringing in characters you haven't seen for a while. It's almost like McQuarrie is so jazzed about all of the, the movies that he wants to keep adding the pieces that he well, likes And to he's it. trying to almost create a culture of it. Right. Like he's trying to create a Mission Impossible culture yeah, to, the, I mean, to the brand. You get it in Bond. You have tons of recurring oh, yeah. characters. Felix comes back. Granted, he's seven different people. But the character's <laughs> the same character, right? right? Even, even within the frame of that Bond, sometimes you get the same character as a different person. Yeah. How many fucking Blofelds are there, right? Right. You know? But well, and every bond has his version of adjusting the tie, right. adjusting the cuffs, right? And, and you know, so it's it's all callbacky stuff, and maybe that is what he's trying to do is just trying to build that mythology, yeah, right. But yeah, some of it can get a little over the top in places. <laughs> I, I mean, just, you're already starting with over the top when you just like, 
we want these four gags and we're going to build a story around it. Right. You can probably stop there. I can't even recall if Ethan has a can you see it, can't you see it moment in Fallout. But I I swear to God, if I'm going to be watching that movie with a shot of vodka next to me and the first, as soon as I hear it. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. So apparently Brant does see it eventually. I guess so. Because... Things start happening from there. Yep. So we cut to, to Hunley, and he's in a fancy CIA jet, and Brant calls him over the phone. He tells him he's in London. In, once again, I think the only phone booth still in London. <laughs> right. He goes back to that it's exact same that phone that same booth, one. Yeah. Um, and they just, you know, waited for the light to come up and then shot on it. Right. Brant tells him, if I'm going to sell it, my friends are doing it on my terms. Right. Um, instructions will follow. And, you, of course, you get the line from, from Alec Baldwin. He's like, I'm not in the mood to play games, Brant. <laughs> and, you know, Jerry Mariner's like, I'm not either. I mean, no, no, no. We're not playing. We're playing the games. I want to play. You're so... Velvety. Um, <laughs> Persuasive with so your velvety voice. With your voice. With your um, voice. But it tells us there's going to be instructions to follow, and then they get the ball moving on their plan. We then cut to... Uh, oh, this is so weird. This is when Bizarro World, uh, Simon Pegg meets Simon right. Pegg. Actual Simon Pegg. Actual Simon Pegg. Right. We cut to Benji getting his hood pulled off after being kidnapped, and there's Lane doing the menacing, sharp breathing thing that Ben <laughs> loves so much. Um <laughs> As he's walking towards Benji. And then he just looks at Victor and tells him, get him ready. (laughs) And Benji gets this look on his face like, "Uh, what's going to happen to me? I don't like those words. It's such a quick moment, too. It's like it literally is like a 10 second insert before we're right off to the next thing. Which I'm like, did it need to be there? You got all the extrapolation when you get to the scene. Right. Once you get there. You you knew that he was prepped. Did the, I don't know why. Maybe maybe Macquarie also sees the physical similarity that I see between Simon Pegg and Sean... Sean Harris, yeah. Sean Harris. So he just wanted that shot, that close-up of where their face... They're literally... Their, their noses are practically touching. They're so close to right. each other. <laughs> it's like, mirror me. What? <laughs> what if... Maybe it's, maybe it's because there's a long stretch here where you don't see Benji. Yeah. And maybe you're just trying to throw that little anchor in there saying... Don't forget, Benji's in peril. Right. Before all this other stuff all happens. All this other shit's happening. Benji's in peril. Benji's in peril. Because there's a lot coming up <laughs> in Act 3. So, Act 3. We uh, cut to nighttime at this uh, charity auction that the Prime Minister and his wife are going to. So we see Brant meet with Hunley, and then we also see Atlee and the Prime Minister making their way in. Hunley quickly assumes that Hunt is going to take down the PM once we see that the Prime Minister is going to this event. But Brant won't tell Hunley where Ethan is, only that he's sort of on his way. And then we get some very smoky talk from Mr. Baldwin about how, You still think that you can control everything, don't you, Brant? What's your problem with being with Hunt for some? You still think you're in control of everything. (laughs) Exactly. So after this, Hunley seeing Atley goes after Atley's and lets Atley know of his suspicions. Well, who he thinks is Atley. Mm, yeah. So at this point, someone alerts the PM that Atley wants to see him. So he heads into this private room with Atley, Hunley, and Brant. And they start telling the PM how Hunt has been misinformed and manipulated into thinking he's taking down, quote, an imaginary network of agents called the Syndicate, which is when the prime minister is like, uh, come again, that syndicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when you start seeing Hunley's face sort of wash over and be like, oh, no, this is a real thing. Right. Shit. <laughs> 
So the prime minister is obviously very mad. He's like, is this, this couldn't be the syndicate that they're talking about, are they, Atlee? Hmm? Yes. Asshole. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and he then sort of explains for the audience, more or less, that that was something that he explicitly wanted killed and that Atlee clearly put into action anyway. Right. Well, it was supposed to be a, a, it was a program that was discussed for the British intelligence to recruit other agents into their own thing to help protect the interests of the British Empire. Right. Not not at the level that uh, that Lane was running it at. But that Lane was supposed to be the person in charge of the whole thing. Right. Whereas he ended up hijacking it. Right. Whereas the the prime minister was supposed to be in control of it, essentially being judge, jury, and executioner. executioner. Exactly. And it was supposed to be funded by some hush-hush ghost money somewhere. Right. There was something like $2.4 billion worth of funds. For operating. Um, But the prime minister was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So Yeah. Or did I? At least starts to kind of backpedal, but then Brant asks the PM if he knows the name Solomon Lane, which he also does. Right. Which again, you know, we get a we get another shot of Hunley sort of reacting to mm-hmm. it, like, oh, okay. Oh, um, shit. So at this point, the Prime Minister wants to leave. And he's like telling Atlee, save it for the public inquiry, you know, that whole thing. But then before he can leave. Hundley gets in his way and he's like, sir. <laughs> and that's when we get that line. Sir, I urge you not to leave this room. Excuse me. Please. Hunt is uniquely trained and highly motivated. A specialist without equal immune to any countermeasures. There is no secret he cannot extract, no security he cannot breach, no person he cannot become. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. So interrupting this whole monologue, Atlee interrupts, but it's not Atlee, but it looks like Atlee shooting the prime minister with a dart. And then he pulls off the mask and it's Ethan. Glasses and all, no less. That's right. Who shoots the uh, prime minister with a truth serum type dart. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but that's what it seems like I, it, it is. It, Some sort of mental it's, manipulation It's, it's definitely darts. like a truth serum dart. And yet when they shoot the two guards later... They it, just go it, out it, cold. Yeah. So do they swap darts? I, I don't know. It was it's, like every other dart. It was very interchangeable. Like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> but okay, whatever. I'll allow it. Then they... Again... Like we talked about earlier, it was really funny to see Tom Hollander playing the funny side after he gets hit with a dart. Right. And he's like, you know, they start getting his uh, fingerprints and he's like, you have very warm hands. <laughs> <laughs> Luther then uh, gets the voice thingy. It's a uh, voice prompt. The voice prompt as well as the uh, the retinal scan and all this stuff. And then we realize that it's the account numbers to gajillions of dollars. And it's not really a ledger, per se, of the syndicate. It's it's just all the money. Right. So essentially what Lane really wanted had nothing to do with his entire operation of the syndicate. It was just the money. He just wanted the money. Well, yeah. He, needed the, he knew everything else. He just needed the money to start things going. Right. Although he seemed to be doing okay without the money, so... Yeah, well, you know. Maybe it was his own money. Uh, maybe he had bigger ideas. Maybe he's going to oh, buy a nuke. Right. 
Sure. Or some sort of virus that maybe was named, I don't know, Chimera or something like that. Something like that. Something like that. So meanwhile, the real Atlee shows up and barges in. And then, of course, they hit him with the true serum dart as well. And then that's when he admits that Lane took over the syndicate and that ever since he's been trying to cover it up, which explains why he wiped the disc that Ilsa... Mm -hmm. Uh, brought him and again all this realization is washing over Hunley this whole time Ethan then hands the antidote to Hunley and says that they're basically they're basically setting it up so that afterwards Hunley looks like the big hero for saving the the prime minister right and and Hunley sort of like catches on to what they're intending to do and he's like oh okay yeah, uh-huh. yeah, this works out really good for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so once we get the big eyebrow race from Baldwin, <laughs> then we see Ethan outside and he calls Lane to let him know that he got the drive unlocked. And we then see Ethan and Brant arrive back to where Luther is at with the unlocked drive on the computer. And Luther's like, Ethan, wait. If I'm not there in 15 minutes, he'll kill Benji. The mission is to bring down the syndicate. If Lane gets his hands on that money, We're unleashing a terrorist superpower. He'll never take me alive. Don't worry. I won't let him get me. (laughs) Yeah. Don't worry. I won't let anything bad happen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Don't worry. We've been through four of these movies already, (laughs) and shit works out the way I say it's going to. Haven't you figured this out by now? (laughs) Don't you know? I'm the living manifestation of destiny. (laughs) That's right. Ethan watches down the video, which explains that the disc gives the prime minister access to 2.4 billion pounds to run the syndicate undetected for decades. Now, take very close attention, kids, uh, to how intensely Ethan is looking at the screen, because that is an important thing to remember for later yeah, his on. His eyes are all... <laughs> yeah, darty eyes, like, going through the whole thing. This is, this is a conceit that I... I don't know. I suppose, theoretically, it's not that he has... A photographic memory? Pho- yeah, Eidetic a, memory? Yeah, photographic memory. It's not that he has to have that specifically to... to bargain with Lane, but that's sort of the conceit that's happening. In well, this. I mean, the reality and of it is, is he's got, he only needs to memorize maybe three numbers. Yeah. Just enough to, to so that it works. Him. Yeah. So, so then we see Ethan take a drill to the disc and is like, whoa, whoa, what? So then Ethan goes to some cafe that's uh, outside the Tower of London, another cafe. Right, and not in a train station. So that's good. Yes. Yes. Tower of London, uh, where Ilsa and Benji are seated along with, uh, Lane's thugs kind of watching on in the distance. And uh, he he gets over there and and Benji, under his coat, you can see he's wearing a bomb. The timer, big timer, big, big. Can't miss the timer. Can't miss the big timer countdown. He's wearing an earpiece as well as you can see one of the fancy contact lenses in his eye as well. So the whole idea is that Ilsa is supposed to kill Ethan and Benji once Lane has what he wants. And if... Ethan doesn't comply, then the bomb goes off and everybody in the vicinity dies. And so Ethan being the hero guy, he's going to be like, whoa. So at least that's the idea. I think Ethan may have anticipated this little stalemate. Uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. So he's got a little something up his sleeve. That's right. Um, But then, then we get a monologue off between Lane and Ethan. And Lane starts first talking about how he uses human nature as the his weapon of choice. He basically just makes it sound like he's the puppet master, just pulling strings and manipulating people's emotions and knowing how somebody's going to react to something to make this thing happen. Right. 
So, and then Ethan decides to take his turn at it. And he talks about how Lane has been sort of like, I got you pegged, Lane. Like, you've been disenchanted with the system, but also you don't really seem to have a problem killing innocent people. So it sort of appeals to you, this new life that you're now leading. Mm-hmm. And, and then Lane finally gets tired of the monologue off and is like, where's the disc? And that's when Ethan is like, well, you like games. I'll give you a game. And he's like, I'll give you 50 million pounds to let Benji go. And then he writes down an account number on a, on a napkin and puts it in front of uh, Benji's eyes. And of course he, he types it into his computer. Of course his, it's, <laughs> it's right there. It's literally right. I love how his laptop is literally already connected to all the banks. <laughs> Doesn't even matter which bank it is. All the banks. Nope. Nope. He is that, that special application. That yes. just goes to all banks all the time. Right. So he does it and then the money comes in, but he's still like, well, where's the disc? And that's when Ethan's like, ha ha, I am the disc. Ha take that, asshole. Ha <laughs> So again, the whole photographic memory thing, I'm just sort of like, eh, okay, sure. Because that's part of it too, is that I'm trying to remember which movie it's established in that Ethan has a photographic memory. I want to say it's one, actually. I want to hmm. say it might be the very first one. I don't know. Anyway, so he basically states that if the Benji bomb goes off, <laughs> Lane gets nothing. Right. So he's like, without me, you're nothing. Ha <laughs> ha. There's a lot of ha ha. I got you. There really is. The, the whole the whole end of the movie is, is Ethan going, and I'm fucking you here. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm fucking you here. here. By the way, double fucking coming up in three, two, two one. one. Fuck, fuck. <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, maybe I'm bluffing, but maybe I'm not. You, you'll never know unless... Unless you give me what I want. Unless you give me what I want. So right at the last, last second, he turns the bomb off, but he doesn't give him the code to take it off, to take right. the bomb vest off of him. So then Ethan threatens to have Ilsa kill him. And so right. at that point, Lane gives up the code, which unlocks the bomb vest and you know from if, Benji. In, in this scene, if I'm Benji, I'm like, could you maybe... Because uh, they're upside down and I don't want to make a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, right? But then he's like, one, four, nine. Oh, no. (laughs) Right? So they disengage the bomb, and Ethan gives Benji, like, a phone or something. And then he's like, uh, Brant and Luther are waiting. Yeah. And he heads out. And then Lane orders his thugs to kill Ilsa, but he needs Ethan alive. But that's when we get this... This really funky shootout where Ethan essentially uses himself as a human shield for Ilsa... It because is, they can't shoot him. Right. And, and it's super well choreographed to keep handing the gun off to one another. Yeah. You know? I'm trying. It, it feels like something else I've seen that's similar, but I can't put my finger on it. But I think it might have been in something like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. So they keep that up where they're just kind of handing off the gun and dancing their way out of the dan- cafe. Dancing their way out of the cafe. And then they make a run for it. And then we see uh, Benji's on the run talking to Brant while Luther is desperately trying to finish making something. And Ilsa and Ethan are on the run from Lane's men. And there's lots of fighty, fighty, shooty, shooty. It's 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 kind of lots of running and shooting. It's not really uh, super memorable, but it's still decent. Right. <laughs> so lots of jumping through windows, too. I yeah, There was an awful lot of window breaking yes, going on. A lot of gratuitous scene. window jumping through. Moments. Can I just say, going back to it, could everybody just leave a, a active live bomb in the middle of a cafe? <laughs> yeah, they just left it sitting in the seat. Well, it'd been disarmed. Had so- it though? <laughs> Who knows? 
I mean, I guess that's what the code was, was to disarm it completely. But I feel like you could probably. (laughs) Some kid comes walking over there. Mommy, mommy, look. Look at the jacket. I would like to wear it. (laughs) So many pockets. (laughs) So during all this uh, jumping through windows and running and jumping and climbing trees, um, (laughs) Ethan and Ilsa are separated. And that's when we get actually a super awesome knife fight, this final showdown between Battle of the Swedish. Right. It's it's Ilsa versus the Bone Doctor. And uh, the choreography in this area, this this knife fight is really good. Like, so convincing. Again, Rebecca Ferguson is fucking badass. Unlike Jessica Chastain, she was clearly interested in doing six months worth of combat training. Yes, indeed. And quite honestly, I think it paid off. Yeah, she's she's very convincing and not in that Hollywood fighty kind of way. No, like a gritty, like David Leachian sort of way. Because she takes a few punches in this thing. Well, yeah. And And knife cuts. it, It is a little, it is funny. It's some stuff that you'd normally... Save for like a male hero, right? Who would take some licks and keep on going, and and you just sort of roll your eyes and and go with it. She takes the exact same type of stuff because yes. there's at one point she gets in the back, I think. Or yeah, something. she gets she gets she didn't get stabbed at all because it, it's weird. They go from kind of a she gets sliced, right? Yeah. The, so the fight kind of starts with them pairing off and almost sword fighting. Yeah, because the, the the knives are hitting each other. They're kind of getting, it's almost like, you know, they're testing each other's metal. Yeah, they're sorting each other out. And then they get into the more actively involved close combat stuff where they're basically slicing each other. uh, Right. Because she gets in like two good slashes and he gets in three on her. Mm -hmm. And then finally culminates into the right up close, knifey, pushing, holding, and then she flippity, flippity, flop, she does flop, the flippity, flop. Yep, the flippity, flippity with the legs and everything. She and does then... the thing you can't see in a Disney movie. <laughs> she actually kills the opponent when she's finished. That's right. So then we see Ethan, and he's hobbling at this point because he's jumped through like 15 windows. Yeah, like every window in <laughs> London, I think, was broken during this fight. <laughs> right. So he's hobbling towards something, and suddenly a shot rings out, which is definitely a shot out of a silenced gun, which kind of rings out right near him. And of course, it's Lane that's kind of slowly pursuing him like... Yeah, he pulls up like in his Jason car. or something. Yeah, gets he just out, strolls like, out. I can see you. I can see That's you. the key. You have to stretch your mouth out. I can see you, Ethan. <laughs> now I sound just like him. <laughs> but I have to do this with my mouth. It's very uncomfortable. If only our tons of listeners could yeah. see the face that you're making to make that sound. It's <laughs> quite I'm priceless. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> so, so then, as if all those other windows hadn't been enough, he finally... Runs through yet another pane of glass. Which some- which was damaged by Lane's bullet, but... Right. So it was at least halfway broken before he smashed into it. So that takes him into some kind of shop. Some kind of... I don't know what it was. Maybe a body shop or something. Mm-hmm. But there's a square hole in the floor that he does a very... Uh, almost Casino Royale, I might uh, aim to say slide and then fall through yep and then uh lane gets kind of lured after him and he he looks down there and he sees ethan still on the floor and then so lane drops down i think he's got the literal drop on him right and of course that's when the plexiglass walls Mm -hmm. come up and the rest of the imf guys come out of the the shadows Mm -hmm. and uh 
He's the man <laughs> in the box. <laughs> and by the way, I'm good. I, one thing I have to say with all of the fake physics we've got dealing with in here, if you shoot a gun at bulletproof glass at point blank range, <laughs> that bullet is going to ricochet somewhere. Yes. And he shot a bunch of bullets. A bunch of them. And no ricochet. Yeah, it was almost like. What, did the bullet just like halfway stick into the very... If they had shown that, I would have been okay with that. But they didn't even show that. that. It was it, just like a, like mm. not even a dent really in the plexiglass. Bulletproof or... glass works on the fact that it deflects the energy of the bullet causing ricochets. Right. So internally, <laughs> he most likely would have shot himself with all of the bullets he was shooting in there. Now, yeah. they, there was also, I think, bulletproof glass that is designed to embed bullets. Right. Which would have made sense here. That stuff, if you keep shooting at it, will eventually break. break and let gas out. Right. So I understand why they didn't go with it, but yeah, it's it's very it's yeah it's it is silly. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. hmm. If Robocop were in this situation, he could have ricocheted that bullet using his targeting sensors. <laughs> but no. <laughs> so of course, that's when we get the uh, Mr. Lane meet the IMF. Mm-hmm. And then in goes the gas. Right. And they gas him. And then kind of the same thing as at the record store, obviously. Right. And then uh, they put the uh, they put the Lane in a box. Yep. Into, <laughs> into another box. Into a police van. It's interesting. Again, not to, not to go back to physics and things like when... Ethan pushes the box over. Mm-hmm. Seems a little easy. It really does. Seems a little too easy to do. Yeah, even because like, you know. I mean, I'm sure Solomon Lane's at least, what, maybe 180, 175, you think? The whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing just tipped over. And granted, I think it was, it was at an angle because it was on kind of roller chain. Right. So they could move it. Right. But... <laughs> But it was for effect. It was for dramatic yeah. effect. He's he's toppling Solomon Lane by knocking the box over. Yeah, yeah. yeah Symbolism. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they load Lane in a box into the police van. And then we get the goodbyes. Uh, Ethan tells Ilsa that she's free now. And we get the big hug. And it, it's nice that it was like a hug. It's it was a very chaste. No peck on the cheek. Yeah. No. We started as equals. We end as we're equal. kind of into each other. We're kind of into each other, but we're not quite ready yeah. to commit. We're e- we're equals the other way, and we're leaving as equals. Yes, Ethan Hunt's relationship status is very. It's complicated at the moment. We don't even know <laughs> what it is in this one. To we be don't. Yeah, they don't even touch on it whatsoever. No, no. because so, you know they never said in Ghost Protocol if they were not married anymore. Right, and we don't really find any of that out until Fallout. Mm-mm. So. So I just love it was it was a sort of thing where, you know, Bond would hand off to Felix with a handshake. Right. And it would be done. But because there wasn't it was a male and a female and there was some chemistry there, it was just a very almost chaste hug. Yes. Uh, and, and nothing and, more. And nothing more. And then off she went in a really nice BMW. A really nice BMW. And somehow all four of them were crammed into the cab of that stupid box truck. <laughs> To to take that wherever they took it. That's right. And then finally, we uh, we see Hunley back at another Senate hearing. This time explaining how he wants to reinstate the IMF, and that originally he had to dissolve it because he had reason to believe the syndicate had infiltrated the government at its highest levels, and yada yada yada. Uh-huh. And then of course, as he as he walks out of the meeting with Brant, Brant's like, "Welcome to the IMF, Mister Secretary." Right. 
after giving the same, uh, I'm not allowed to comment oh, on yes. uh, active or non-active investigations without the permission of the secretary. Right, exactly. And that that is the movie. So that is... Mission, the movie. That is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Yay! Yay! Pretty good stuff. It was good stuff. Like I said, up till now, it's my favorite one ever. <laughs> yeah, that'll probably change once we watch Fallout. Uh, well, it it does Fallout does have the advantage of having Superman in it. However, it has a disadvantage of having a fight in a bathroom. So <laughs> that's right. We got through an entire spy movie without with, a fight in a bathroom. Without a fight in a bathroom. Maybe that's why this one's my favorite after all. <laughs> there wasn't even a bathroom mentioned, I don't think. No. I don't think I'm trying to think. I don't think there is. No, no. And all of the other missions have a bathroom fight somewhere. I know. So <laughs> this, this one might be a winner permanently. <laughs> I don't might. know. Maybe, maybe even Henry Cavill's uh, shotgun fists aren't going to be enough Can't, to say that. Enough because <laughs> I got to watch a bathroom fight to see shotgun fists. Because <laughs> that's where the shotgun fists happen. <laughs> that's right. You know, after watching this and doing very thorough notes on it, I'm like, wow, maybe this is my favorite. And for me, uh, you know, people who have listened to the CIC for a while, they know I'm a big Bond guy. I think that's pretty obvious. I think I've made that very obvious over the past three and a half years. And I'm a big Bond guy, and I think that's why I like this one now so much, is how Bondian it is. Yes. You've got, it has the pacing of a Bond movie. Yep. You've got You've got a little bit more, <laughs> granted, we tend to make fun of exposition moments, but the exposition moments in this movie feel very Bondian in nature. Right. And, and there's, and it's not just, while there is tons and tons of action in this movie, it's so paced, it's paced so well that there are lots of thinky, talky moments and manipulation moments that have nothing to do with action at all as well. Right. And so it just feels like a Bond movie. It doesn't hurt either that you've got Rebecca Ferguson being the most amazing Bond girl and beyond a Bond girl, right. really, because she's- Bond. Yeah, she's literally Bond in this movie. Well, you know what? It You know, it's funny. We talked about- how Ghost Protocol sort of became the template for what the movies would become. Right. Like the first three were kind of really more through the the lens of- Different No, no pun intended, but the director, how they wanted to do it. So you yeah. got a Brian De Palma movie. You got a Woo As Fuck movie. Woo As Fuck. That's right. And then you got a J.J. Abrams movie. Right. Which was essentially a Steven Spielberg movie. Then <laughs> Macquarie comes in, or Brad Bird comes in, and Brad Bird knows how to make a spy movie. Now, I will say it is a fairly Brad Birdy it is. movie. It is, but he understand I think he understood where the other three didn't, how you make a spy movie. And how you make something that's like truly a franchise. Yes. You know, he sort of had that maybe in the back of his head, like, so this is bigger than me. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is a movie that I, you know, that is part of a series of movies. Right. What is the essence of Mission Impossible? Right. And, you know, still gave it some of that and not making it entirely The Incredibles. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, it was the first one that felt like what I think a Mission Impossible movie is because the rest of them kind of go on that template yes. from there. Very much so. We're gonna, this one even more so. I feel like this is the next evolution of it. Right. And Fallout kind of has, I won't say perfected it because I haven't seen Dead Reckoning, but it, this is how we make a Mission Impossible movie now. Yeah. The other three were still trying to figure that out. Right. And they were trying to figure it out through how the director thought it needed to be as, where Brad Bird said, this is what this movie should be. Yes, I'm making it. Yes, I'm going to make it Brad Birdie. But by the same token, 
I need to it's remove myself. I need to remove myself just a little bit and think right. about what is the essence of Mission Impossible outside of me. Right. And and what does it translate into later? And right. I, and I also think this one benefits from having Macquarie, who was the writer on the last one, he clearly has that synergy energy with Cruz. He's got some sort of weird mind meld with Cruz, right. and or or at least he's able to kind of mitigate that intense Cruz energy a little. I think bit. It, it, maybe not mitigate, but he can he can translate it into the real world. Yeah, right. He can, he can use it for good. Right. <laughs> to to like to a to a productive outcome. Right. But I think it also shows that when you let Tom Cruise's ideas go with a good funnel, yes, rather than someone who is like, well, Tom Cruise is in my movie. McCoy's like, this is Tom's movie and I'm helping him to make it. Yes. And I think that Tom Cruise knows how to make a movie. Tom Cruise knows what his people, his, his fans want to see. Mm-hmm. And he knows what he's capable of doing, what he's not capable of doing, and always wants to continually raise the bar. Mm-hmm. And when you finally get him in sync with somebody who's like, yeah, we can do that. Or but why don't we do this or this or this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wants to facilitate it. Right. So you're getting now the Mission Impossible movies that I think he probably wanted to start making from three on, mm-hmm. but wasn't able to because he didn't have the right partner there helping him out. Right. So that's why I think Fallout is probably going to be better. I think, I, from what I remember, it's a better movie than this one. I don't know if it's more enjoyable, if I'll like it more. Mm-hmm. But from a structure standpoint, it feels like it had more of a storyline to it. Right. You know, there was more to it. I do think that the next evolution, and Fallout's the beginning of that next evolution, is not necessarily coming up with big stunts and writing the story around it. Writing a story with big stunts in it. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're sort of transitioning to to story more stunts slightly taking a backseat, but not much. Right. But- Which as any Bond fan named Ben Essinger will tell you, um <laughs> putting all that character development in the movie is gonna ruin the whole franchise. <laughs> You know, that's one man's opinion. <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> also, he thinks that there should be more people on the streets of Rome at two o'clock. That's in the all morning. I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Rome's a big place. There's a lot of people in that city. There should be more people on the street. I don't care if it's two in the morning. There's no curfew in Rome. That you know of. That you don't I know live of. in Rome. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, yeah, any any other things? I think we've... So, no, not really. Uh, you know, I think we covered everything we can cover. If you haven't seen this movie, shame on you. You should have seen this movie before you listened to this podcast. Indeed. And, and uh, what are you doing not seeing this movie exactly. yet? And if you decided, I know enough and I'm just going to listen to these idiots talk about it, fine. But go see it again. It really is worth watching. It's, uh, it's, it's worth it, rewatching it's, for sure. It, exactly. And rewatching. Honestly, guys, this is the first movie that we've reviewed in a long time that I, I got excited <laughs> to watch for the second time. And we'll probably watch maybe maybe the only <laughs> mission movie I might rewatch out of the ones that I own just because I really, really enjoyed it. And so go do that. Indeed. And then you should let us know what you thought of it. Yes. Because if there's one thing that the CIC loves, it's listener interaction. And uh 
I'm about to tell you how you can interact with us. Ooh, tell them, Ben. Yes. Well, at email, our email is cicdeaddrop at gmail.com. On Instagram, it's Central Intelligence Cinema, separated by underscores. Or on Twitter is at CIC SpyPod. So uh, let us know what you thought of the movie, what you thought of our analysis of the movie. If we, if you thought we were way off bases, let us know. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if you thought we didn't treat it with the kind of respect it needed, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place because we're going to poke a stick at every bear That's right. that walks in front of us. Bear in mind, we still want to hear from you, though. Indeed, indeed. We do, we do love that. And we also love glowing five-star reviews. Whether you're uh, listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, that would help us greatly so that when people are going and searching for more silly spy shit like us, we come up closer to the top of that search. And you know, we're always looking to just be closer to the top. That's right. Because <laughs> if God knows if we got to the top... Hollywood go go to our heads. Oh, I know. All of a sudden, we're going to start producing stuff we don't want to do. We'd be insufferable. Oh, my gosh. Next thing you know, we're like a VH1. (laughs) You know, what was that show? Uh, What happened to the music or whatever? (laughs) Talking about the great fall. Oh, God, we'll be those guys. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, the show was like... Five o'clock shadow smoking cigarettes. <laughs> that was when Ben decided that maybe Spectre was a good movie. <laughs> yeah. So we want to get almost to the top, but not at the not top. Not at the top. We need to, you know, not let our egos. Just get just get us up there so more people are listening. Indeed, indeed. But uh, I think that's everything, isn't it? Yep, it is. All right. Well, with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem. <laughs>